All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Patrick freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to The Spoken. The Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell, here inside the KCPN studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell, Eddie Ortiz, and the one and only Gat. She made herself a little uh, appearance on, I believe it's called the Scrug Show, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, A a, a very well-respected lawyer in the the Kansas City area actually had uh, Gat on this week, and it was an awesome show, so I highly recommend you uh, uh, join, follow, like, subscribe to the KCPN studios, uh, Kansas City Podcast (laughs) Network. Because you know. we got a ton of content out there for you guys. <laughs> I believe we just reached our was it uh, was it one hundredth day? Is that correct? Yeah, I mean it's been been a blast. And if, it, if if sports isn't your number one thing, if you want to talk about life, politics, religion, culture, whatever you got, man, I'm telling you, we have it there. And 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 Gat really had herself a great episode, and it's available for you guys to watch as well. So I definitely recommend that. We're happy to be here, episode seventy. Uh, this is what we do. We got some L's to hand out tonight. I hope you don't miss that because I got a juicy one for you guys tonight. We're going to open up the Monday mailbag and hear what you guys have to say, what you guys want to discuss, what you want us to discuss on this show as we do each and every week. We're going to let our guy Eddie over here expand a little bit as he has Patrick Holmes trying to swallow his chrome dome over there. We're going to have him uh, give us some produ- provocative uh, mind, mind-bending mind questions, and I hope I'm ready for it because he told me to be prepared, and I have no idea what he's about to ask me, so... Hope you guys are prepared because I know for sure I'm not, but don't tell Eddie that. But I want to start with something, and I, I want to open up about uh, our show in particular, first and foremost. And we got goals here at the Spoken Podcast, and, and we've been reaching those goals and we will continue to reach those goals as long as I believe we continue doing things the way that we've been doing them so far. From getting this bad boy off the ground in, in, in general, developing a consistent show for people to enjoy by adding good guests and honest and authentic takes on all things sports-related. From partnering up with KCPN once again and seeing how incredible this family of podcasters and content providers have been able to bring such diligent entertainment to our region and the world for that matter as a collective. An ultimate goal of mine personally is to have this show become a five day a week show, which I do fully believe will happen one day. Another goal of ours is to get things right. And that oftentimes requires admitting when we're wrong. And I know that I shared personally in a previous episode not too long ago that I am one who is both someone who hates being wrong, but also has no issue admitting it when I am in fact wrong. Well, this week, in episode 70, I'm here to tell you that I, Lance Twidwell, will be wrong about something that I was really, really hoping that I would be so right about. And it's this. The 2020 season will be the last season Chris Jones plays for the Chiefs. Let's just take a moment and accept that as a fact because that's just how it's going to be. I realize that possibly many of you have already been at that conclusion and have been waiting for, for those like me to join you in the common sense lane. 
According to NFL.com's Jeffrey Chadia, who's very well connected, by the way, Chris Jones is seeking a new contract worth about $21 million per year and has been seeking this deal before the 2019 season even began. And from the looks and sounds of it, Chris Jones will not move off of this number, considering how great and invaluable Chris Jones is and has been and will continue to be. Can we honestly blame him? Outside of Aaron Donald, there isn't a single defensive lineman playing at Chris Jones' level, and that becomes evident in the Super Bowl game of all games. Go watch it. I know we all have at least 15 times. Chris Jones has always had a fan in me because he's able to be effective as he is while also always being available and healthy for the most part. Not to mention, has played great in big games despite what some may have initially thought or assumed. I would love to see Chris Jones play for another few seasons in Kansas City. Because he's great. Because he's valuable. But as time has gone on, I've not only accepted the fact that 2020 will be his final run out of that home tunnel at Arrowhead, but it's honestly not a terrible decision. And I blame Patrick Mahomes solely for that very reason. In 2016 and 2017... It would have been absurd to think that the Chiefs would let a, such a young and elite talent like Chris Jones play anywhere else while still in his 20s. It would have been damn near criminal, and you bet your ass I would have been one of the many that would have called the Chiefs out to explain such an asinine decision. But see, the reason why it would have been considered criminal and asinine because of the glaring differences because the, of, the, of the quarterbacks the Chiefs had in 2016 and 2017 and the Chiefs since 2018. And I know what you're thinking. And I'm going to politely ask that you stop thinking it immediately because it's not what you think as to why I'm blaming Mahomes, why Jones is gone after this season. When you have a quarterback like Alex Smith, you have to have players like Chris Jones at positions like his because you have to have great players that surround your average to mediocre quarterback because your quarterback will not be the deciding factor in how your team wins and loses games. Therefore, making valuable players like a Chris Jones all the more valuable. And if Alex Smith or a quarterback like Alex Smith were the Chiefs quarterback in 2020, Chris Jones would have already been counting his millions that he got from a contract the Chiefs gave him last offseason. But see, the Chiefs now live in another reality. A reality that the Chiefs have never lived in. And that's the elite quarterback reality. Patrick Mahomes has without question changed not only the trajectory of this franchise, but how also they build what they consider a winner. No question and no doubt Mahomes has, does, and will continue to require having top-tier athletes around him if the Chiefs hope to continue building this dynasty and currently in the run-it-back chapter of its story. And as its point in time, I have no question that the Chiefs will do just that. But what I, have to, I had to understand, and what I hope all of you understand is this. The difference in how the Chiefs built in 2016 and 2017 and how they will build now and forever will be much different. And Chris Jones inevitably departing to be a prime example of that. Him leaving will be that prime example. Do I believe that the Chiefs want Chris Jones for the long term? Absolutely. Do I believe Jones wants to continue his path to building a Hall of Fame legacy right here in KC where it began? Of course. But given the reality the Chiefs are living in and will be living in until Mahomes walks away... 
Chris Jones is not the priority he once was or could have been had the reality been any different or, in this case particular, any less. It's not about the money. Okay. It's a little bit about the money. If Jones wasn't requesting $21 million per year, I, I would bet the chances of him staying long-term changes rather, dramatic, dra- rather drastically. But I do not believe the money is the ultimate factor, however. At least not anymore. Because as we've seen teams like the Rams in recent memory shell out cash that seem to be coming from a Monopoly game, if a team really wants to keep or maintain a player, they will and they can. It is no mystery that the Chiefs have placed their full faith and future in the hands of Mahomes. And no one would debate that being the common sense decision and anything but it. But we as Chiefs fans must understand that this is what will take place and that what's going on now and how they're building comes with a price. Chris Jones will be that price. Because although he is valuable, although he is elite, Chris Jones' importance to a team built around the best quarterback in the world takes a backseat in the priority department. If only Chris Jones would have been born, born a few years earlier or Patrick Mahomes would have been a few years later we wouldn't even be discussing the scenario that we find ourselves very much in. I have come full circle in this, and I have realized that if my goal is to get it right, I must see the big picture and realize that the Chiefs have and will continue to have tough decisions on how to continue to build a winner built to complement the strengths of Mahomes, not build it to the satisfaction of fans. Fans are emotional and knee-jerk. The Chiefs cannot afford to listen or even care for that matter when it comes to what we want in this regard because, let's be honest, at the end of the day, we will show up and show our support and love this team because we know that 15's got us. Not even mentioning the fact that the Chiefs have granted themselves an unprecedented amount of cachet and good faith with the fan base with winning in Miami this last February. Chris Jones is gone after this season. I recommend that you love him, cheer for him, and give him the same support you did over the last four seasons. But he is gone. Embrace that fact. And if you want to blame anyone because of that fact, blame the greatness of Patrick Mahomes. The price of possessing greatness requires unpopular decisions. And I'm going to leave it right there. When we get back, we're going to talk about the NBA's plan to come back and how the players have opted out, how I think that although Avery Bradley opting out and not playing for the Lakers is going to be a loss for them, I'm going to tell you why you, along with myself, should consider the Lakers still the heavy favorites to win the title in 2020. We'll get back to that after this. Commandeer is Kansas City's alternative apparel brand. They make unique Kansas City-themed apparel and accessories with an emphasis on counterculture. They're nominated for two Best of KC 2019 awards in the Pitch Magazine and have plenty of designs for both sports fans and anyone else. Find them online at commandeerbrand.com or follow them at Commandeer on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Soft shirts, designed with an edge.
Lance again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number two. I am your host, Lance Woodwell. Here inside the KCPN studios with my guys, Trevor Woodwell, it's good. Eddie Ortiz, and the one and only Miss Gat, the queen of the studio, if you will. So, uh, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts, the fans, the, the viewers. I would love to hear your thoughts on, on that opening monologue because I know that's something that is still very unpopular. And I, I would love to hear what you guys think about that in regards to Chris Jones. If you think that there's any opportunity or possibility that he can come back after the 2020 season. Because I do believe that there is a discussion still to be had. But I wanted to make sure that we clarified some things oh, wow. on that in regards to what we know and what we hear. So, moving on to the NBA though. Man, there has been some serious news coming out in regards to the NBA over this last week. Um, The obviousness of the concerns and the scares of what COVID-19 is still very much doing to our world and our society in particular and how it is affecting these pro leagues and college leagues for that, that matter to come back and to play their sports at any type of magnitude. Well, tonight, Field Yates, Adam Schefter came out and broke down the new schedule that we got, which totally excited me. I love seeing the fact that there's just a schedule. Set in stone. Seeing a schedule, it's been the first time since March I've seen a <clears> schedule. <throat> like it, it, just, it just got me so excited, man. Yeah. And uh, that, that, That's not the part that I really want to talk about. We can talk about that, of course. But I want to talk about the, the players that decided to opt out because the NBA gave that decision, obviously, to these guys that don't feel comfortable for whatever the reason is. And there were a few names in particular that stood out. And they all had their own reasons as to why they did. And I will not argue it. I will not fight it. I think that everything that they decided to do is there is within their right. And they're trying to protect their families. You know what? All power to them. I think that's a great thing. But the NBA has to continue. And this season has to be done. The names of which are Wizards for David Bertrands, which is actually going to be a free agent. One of the best shooters in the NBA. I think he was averaging 16 to 18 points a game this season on a bad team. This guy could definitely be a great addition for a contender next season. I think he's definitely going to go somewhere and get paid, too. Uh, Trailblazer forward, uh, Trevor Reza, longtime veteran, really good player, a hell of a 3 and D type of guy. Um, it, it's a loss for the Blazers because I believe he was starting for the Blazers as well. He's definitely lost some, a couple steps. Hey, I think he's yeah. 35 now, so he's not he's not Trevor Reza of 2010 with, yeah. the, I believe, the Lakers at that time. And then, of course, there was Lakers guard Avery Bradley, which is by far the biggest name that was lost in the opt-out uh, decision that was, uh, I think, ended on Wednesday, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And, like, again, all these men have the reasons, and I'm not going to fight any of that. However, I do want to touch on the one, the loss of Avery Bradley in particular, seeing that he is the one of the only three that is on an actual title contender this season. And I do believe Bradley is a loss for the Lakers. I want to make that very clear. The dude is one of the better 3 and D players in the entire NBA, and he plays a very important position for the Lakers, which is guard, because they don't have a lot of guard talent. And he actually played a significant role in the last time the Lakers played the Clippers and beat the Clippers by hitting six three-pointers in that game. He was a difference maker. But to put things in context, the Lakers are still a great team without Bradley, and I will take it another step. They are still the team to beat. Why do I say that? Avery Bradley this season missed 14 games. The Lakers were 13-1 in those games. This is why I said before the season even began, the Lakers are going to win the championship because they're the only team with two of the top five players in the league. Bradley's absence brings the Lakers back to the pack in some form, but not enough by any means for me to change my stance. I still feel very good about the Lakers' title chances, and I think anyone looking at this from an honest perspective will feel the same way. Trevor, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, initially, uh, it was a major bummer because, in my mind, he's not only one of the best, obviously one of the best uh, perimeter defenders in the league, 
top three, four perimeter defenders in the league when he's on his game. But like you said, his, his injury health, you know, he's not promised to be there even if he does play. He's been kind of a fragile player the majority of his career, if we're being honest. Um, and he's, you know, he averaged, what, like 20 minutes per game. He wasn't like a highly – he was a very good energy guy at the bench when he, when he would start. Uh, he would produce, not necessarily offensively. I think he averaged like eight points a game, maybe something like that. He had a couple big games, especially towards the, the beginning of this coronavirus stuff. He had that really good game against the Clippers. Um, but he's just not a consistent enough player and a consistent enough um, contributor to both sides of the court to be a, a drastic loss. I definitely think it's a loss, and I think they're going to have to find someone, whether it's a J.R. Smith, to replace you know that defensive prowess with more of a jump shooting prowess and chemistry. Uh, that he has there locked in with LeBron already. Um, adding another shooter like that would be important, especially for LeBron. Um, uh, give more, give him more production off the, offensively. But um, I mean, I get it. I get why he did it. You know, with his son, and you know, and him obviously with his stance on the the injustice that's going on right now. I completely, I, I can, I can vouch for him with both those reasons. Um, and not, I, I can as a father. I, I, there's no way I wouldn't want to see my son for three whole months, man. That's that alone is difficult to even fathom. Um, I see my kids every day. So like I said, I couldn't even really <laughs> fathom that. So whether I'm playing the game to distract me or not, you still got to go home at night to your hotel room and just sit there and think about them. You know, that's going to be difficult to get over whether, you know, t- to add to the fact that his son has that issue, that condition. So I get it. Um, it is a loss to the Lakers though. And I definitely think that was going to be, he was going to be one of those key guys to hold, you know, Patrick Beverly and, and, and Lou Williams, those type of players to kind of take that off. Um, so I don't know who's going to step it up and be that guy at the new face, face the Clippers. Who's going to step up and be that perimeter defender. They're going to have to find someone or, you know, a KCP is going to have to step his game up a little bit defensively and bring some more tempo defensively, or they could just, you know, cause the, I think the Lakers were what, the, the top three defense in the league this year, yep. um, especially in the perimeter, their perimeter defense was incredible all year. Uh, so, and that, that losing one of the best perimeter defenders in the game is definitely going to be a blow. So it's a blow no matter how you look at it. But do I think it's drastic enough to like knock them off from being the top dog right now? Absolutely not. They still have the best player in the league. They still have, you know, um, I think they're a well-coached team at this point. I think they've proven that they're a well-coached uh, defense. Um, and that's that alone is inspiring for LeBron because LeBron doesn't typically have good defensive teams. So him being able to you know produce the offense and 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 you know have a good surrounding cast defensively for LeBron is huge for him. So I still think they're the favorite in the West, but it does suck losing Bradley, man. And they're, hopefully they find someone to, to at least to come in and produce. I don't know who it's going to be. They're saying Jr. is the the favorite, but we'll we'll see who they who they nab here. But definitely a loss for sure. I mean, I I don't follow basketball like you guys follow basketball, but but losing any kind of player in any kind of team. It, it, it can go either way, uh, but but having like you guys said, having two of the top five players in the league right now in your team, it shouldn't be an it shouldn't be a problem to to have the next guy come in and step up, you know, and just make them that much better. It's just like like soccer, like uh, if you have the best player in the team, all all the cast around him is gonna be just just as good. All all he needs is a little bit of help, and then he can he can you know just make that finish. Yeah. So. Like you said, if, if I don't know how much of a blow it is to the Lakers, but at this point in time, with like how everything's going on and and, and everything's being handled with the NBA, I, I think it's any loss is a big blow to any team in the NBA right now, especially uh, chemistry wise. Yeah, ex- exactly, especially chemistry, and then having to adjust to a different player at this point in time uh, with the playoffs pretty much lurking. It, it, 
it, it can put a little bit of pressure in there, you know. So, I mean, I don't know how much pressure is going to be put on that team, but it, having to, to replace a, a, a good player in a matter where they need need you the most, mm. it's going to be a little, you know, it's gonna, it can be a little bit tricky. Well, this is this is what I'll say about it. I think if this was any regular season where you know we didn't have any of this abruptness, uh, a halt to the game. I think if they would have lost Bradley again because he was making his stride, I think he played 18 or 20 straight games. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was starting all of those games, actually, and he was making an impact. I think if the Lakers were going the way they were and then they lost Bradley to an injury or something of that nature or his son was sick or something like that, I think that would make much more of an impact. But with them being off for months now, and because and, he, he missed 22% of the season. Yeah. You know, the Lakers knew how to play without him. And again, they were 13-1 and without him. They played four playoff teams in that span and beat all four of them in that span. So, to me, the ultimate difference maker and why I still feel confident, again, is not just because of the superstardom, but they know how to win without him. And I definitely think that it makes things more difficult. But if you look across the league right now, every single team has their deficiencies. And at this point, the Lakers really didn't have deficiencies with Avery Bradley. Now that Avery Bradley is out, they, like, again, this is going to make them look a little normal. It makes the God bleed a little bit, if you will. So I definitely think the rest of the league is going to sense the blood in the water. Now you can plan around that. But that's the thing. Yeah, that's the thing now is that now the Lakers have that preparedness. They're not dead in the middle of a a season where they have to play tomorrow night and they lost them. Now they get to mentally prepare for that, knowing good and well what they've already been losing, which is months of playing. So that the development of their game is going to come back naturally because this team, and this is what this is another big reason why I'm so big about the Lakers this year. Superstardom, yes. Playing the well together without Avery Bradley, yes. But they are the most heavily veteran team in the entire NBA. Yeah, that's huge. That is humongous for yeah. something like this because they will try to downplay and downplay and downplay. These young guys aren't going to be are, are just going to walk in and just fine because they're younger and they're they're probably more agile and they can bounce back physically. That is all true. But when it comes to the grind, when it comes to a playoff series, experience and veteran leadership is going to play such a pivotal role. It does in every playoff series. Yeah, let let alone in this instance. Now, to Trevor's point about who's going to step up and who do I think they're going to bring in, they may bring in J.R. Smith, but Mm. I don't expect J.R. Smith to be anybody outside of maybe the eighth guy on the roster. And we all know that during the playoffs, you got seven, maybe eight guys that play in total. But more than likely, it's going to be a seven-man rotation. So he'll be there in case someone else goes down in an injury. Yeah. So I think KCP is the guy that they're going to rely on because if we remember anything about the end of the season, right as the pandemic hit, KCP was catching stride. You know who I wanted he to be? He found his role. Who I wanted to be, and I mean, this might not be in a, pop- a popular opinion, but my guy Nick Wright definitely came out and made this clear that he how he felt about it, how he felt about it. And I think Alex Crusoe is that guy. I, agree. I think Alex Crusoe he needs to start. Not only is he is he a really good perimeter defender, he's like a sneaky, really really good perimeter defender. He's extremely athletic on the offensive, and he's a very good full court passer. He's very good at running the fast break. And when him and Le- him and LeBron, I-, I didn't even know this till Nick Wright brought it up and showed the stats. When him and LeBron are on the floor together, they are the best duo for their positions together in the entire league. In the entire league. Now, so, most of that has to do with LeBron. No, no, no. I know, but, but give Caruso but his credit. When when they're on the floor together, because I-, I think people sleep on the IQ of Caruso too. His his vision, like I said, his full court ability to make passes or run the floor and get down, and his ability to get up and get the ball or get up and dunk like he's his ability to for for lebron to throw oops to he's sneaky athletic so i i think he can definitely fill that role even start at times if that's i mean i know the playoffs are a whole different thing because he has zero playoff experience really so 
I know a lot of people think Kuzma could. I think they could rotate and put make Kuzma that guy off the bench as far as being that scorer off the bench. There's a lot of they have a lot of movable pieces though. I think that they can you know make shift and 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 figure it out. So and, and there's nobody there is nobody that is more prepared for something like this. I'm not sitting here saying LeBron knows how to deal with something like this. No one's no, ever no, dealt right. with it. Yeah. But but a guy that went to eight straight finals and has missed the finals one time in the last decade. No. I have a hard time believing he's going to be the one that's not prepared for something like this. If there was anybody that could withstand it or, or rise above it. Yeah, it went five games and, of the Warriors with Della Vadova. Right, and so <laughs> I think his teammates follow that. Plus, yeah. the cachet that follows guys like uh, Danny Green, who's been to five finals in his career yeah. and has played a pivotal role. He's, he's been like a poor yeah. man's Ray Allen in some regard. For sure. Um, like I said, uh, Dwight Howard, who's been to the finals and lost a heartbreaking uh, uh, matchup, ironically, to the Lakers in 2009. He wants to get back to that position. He obviously obviously knew how important this was when he was one that was afraid of the whole, you know, do I go to Orlando's bubble or not? And he decided to opt in. So obviously he's all in. Otherwise he would have decided to stay out. Um, uh, you have guys like even Jared Dudley, who's been bounced around the league, but has been on great teams and bad teams, knows the appreciation of a moment like this, can teach these young guys like Kyle Kuzma, like Trevor said, who's never been at this platform before. So there's a great R- Rajon Rondo. We didn't even get started on that. Like yeah. There are so many guys on this team I feel like they're so prepared for that I think it's going to get to the point to where, although Avery Bradley is a loss initially, you're going to almost forget about it because of the way the Lakers can gel so quickly because of the guys that can withstand something this dramatic. And again, there is a motivating factor that not a lot of people are talking about because of everything that's going on in our world, and it is the loss of Kobe Bryant. The loss of Kobe Bryant put another fire under LeBron James' ass. He already had enough going to the Lakers, knowing that standard, knowing they're the Yankees of the NBA, knowing that he needed to win a title to validate that decision. Just like going back to Cleveland had to validate that decision. He had to win a title to validate that Times a million going to L.A. and making that decision when you leave home again. And it's been a decade since the Lakers won. And go to go to Kobe, Shaq, Kareem, Magic's house to go and do that and 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 take on that mantle. Plus losing Kobe Bryant in the middle of a season, there is motivating factors that I don't think any single player has ever had in the history of the NBA. LeBron James has on his shoulders right now, and that is why he mentioned my shoulders. God gave me. Uh, broad shoulders for a reason. That is his own way of perceiving it. That is him saying, I believe I'm built for this. And I think the Lakers are going to follow his lead in that regard. And I think you're, don't be surprised. And I love the fact, and I know how you guys feel about this with the whole scheduling thing, and I'm glad we get to talk about the scheduling part now, is the fact they put the Clippers and Lakers night one. They're like, you know what? Fuck yeah. this. You guys have had three and a half, four months off. You're going to have five, almost five months at that point. Of course. Lakers, Clippers, game one. Let's do this shit. You know, like you have your warm up game with the Jazz and Pelicans. The next one is that game, the late night. I love that. It gives both these teams what exactly they're looking for. I think that could very well be the Western Conference Finals. Very well could be. We'll see. Watch well, LeBron and Kawhi have a load management game. You better stop that shit. <laughs> you better stop that shit. I could, I could definitely see Kawhi having it. But <laughs> but I think it's great because I, this, this, this whole entire thing could be a blessing in disguise because I do believe when we look back at this entire season and this entire year, for that matter, mm. we're going to look at this championship so much differently than any other one. Not because of the way it was designed or how they came back, but because of the fact we're going to see these players have to adjust to something they've never had to adjust before, too. Mm-hmm. We've never seen something like this before. Not even a lockout has lasted like yeah, this. Yeah, I mean, if it's an asterisk, it's an asterisk for a good reason. In a good one. That's why I broke that down several weeks ago yeah. when I said I do believe there will be an asterisk, but it's a good one because asterisks don't have to be negative. It's just a symbol of something unique, yep. something special. That is the embodiment of this entire season. 
And like I said, knowing good and well that the entire Laker fan base is looking to LeBron James now, ironically, because they've hated him for so many years for whatever reason, now they're looking at him to redeem what has once been lost by, in most regards, Lakers' favorite player of the last 20 years in Kobe Bryant. To, to lose him in such a dramatic way. Not only having him retire a few years ago, but losing the man, the, the, the mogul, the legend, to lose him in the prime of his life. For LeBron to bring back a title, it won't replace him, obviously. But it will give them a semblance. A, 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 there's, a, there's a solace to that. There will bring peace to that city and to healing. that fan yeah, base. Some healing for sure. Absolutely. And so I feel it's so poetic, and I think that the Lakers are aware of this. They know this all good and well, and Trevor brought up a great point. They have really good coaching. Frank Vogel is not a scrub. He's coaches ass. And off. they have Jason Kidd on that bench, who's been a proven head coach in this league, who will be getting a job after they win the title in this off in this season. Yeah. So this team is ready, and they're fully. Pre- I don't want to disrespect the Clippers. They have Doc Rivers. They have a list of veterans. That is a really good team, and they're title worthy. The, the Bucks, a great team as well. Giannis, he gets hot. He can lead the team to a championship. He absolutely can. I don't want to disrespect or negate anything from any of these other teams because there are title worthy teams. The point I want to make and I want to continue to bring home, though, is there is one team that stands out amongst them, and it's the team I believe is the most ready and most prepared and the most motivated. I know everybody says some of these younger teams like the Celtics are going to be motivated to prove themselves. I agree with that. For sure. But at the end of the day... The Rockets be very motivated, too. And that's another interesting... I can't wait until we do our bracket. Yeah. Until we start making our official predictions. Rockets Before the scary. season started, I had Lakers and Sixers. Yeah. Cannot wait to look back and really reflect and see how different this one is. Yeah, and nobody's talking about at. the Sixers. They're all and, and and they all might be completely healthy too heading into all this. So that's a big X factor. And, and, sure. and, and Coach Brown knows that this might Simmons. be his last hoorah. You know, we don't know where Simmons Simmons might be traded. Simmons supposedly is playing, so he's healthy. So I mean, that's huge for them, man. They could definitely make some noise. This could be a blessing in disguise. This could definitely be a blessing in disguise. I'm just excited of the fact that we're getting NBA back. I I hope that at least 50 percent of you guys are. If they're not NBA fans by now, watching the show, I don't know what you're doing here with us because we love so, talking yeah, NBA. I've man. been so blue balled for a long time. I'm ready, man. I'm so so we're gonna leave it there. We're gonna leave it there. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on these as well. We, we do have one thought. Let's hear it. Eddie looks like a teddy bear. Eddie um, is a teddy bear. Rudy Alexander Hernandez. So. Mm. Shout out to Rudy because it is factual. Eddie hey. is. Do you, do you taste teddy like a teddy bear, bear Eddie? Like I'll see little... you tomorrow, Rudy. <laughs> Rudy, he'll see you tomorrow. I'll be at your house. Rudy, Rudy, Rudy. I think your dad chimed in too, didn't he? Yeah. What do you call us? <laughs> we'll leave it there. <laughs> Shout out to Mr. Ortiz. Papa Ortiz. When we get back, actually, Mr. Ortiz, please stay tuned because it's actually going to be the Eddie Hour. So oh, stay tuned yeah. for that, guys. I cannot wait to hear what these questions are. I have no idea. Trevor has no idea. Gat has no idea. Only Mr. Teddy Bear knows I'm what's nervous. going on. So <laughs> we'll be back for that after this. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. We are now accepting callers for the pendant keychains. Located in the historic Westport District, Modern Man Supply Company is your Kansas City's new home for men's retail. From apparel to pomade and home goods to beard care, they offer a wide range of men's products from independent companies from around the world. Follow them at Modern Man Supply Company on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Hey, yo. Back at it again on the Spoken Podcast for segment number three. I am your host, Lance Twidwell. Here inside the KCPN studios with my guys, Trevor Twidwell. What's good? Eddie Ortiz, yo, yo, yo. the one, the only. Mrs. Gat herself is here. 
Super excited, guys. Episode 70. Show is rolling on by, man. This thing just keeps flying by. We, sure. have a, we have actually a lot left to do, guys, so I hope you stay tuned because this is one of our favorite segments of the week. I would consider it a staple. The Eddie Hour. I'm going to quit talking because I talk the majority of the time. I'm going to let my guy have the hey. platform. Eddie, what is going on in the mind of Eddie himself? Oh, not much, man. Just a couple questions. A couple questions I got. Let's, I just want to see what your what answers are. All right. And uh, here we go with the first one. Since, uh, you know, we, we started the, the, the show with a little bit of NBA. Hmm? I think, uh, you know, might as well keep on going. Let's do it. Give it to me, Daddy. So, <laughs> earlier this week, there was an argument on Twitter that uh, I was a little interested in. And it was like, it was a who would you take kind of situation. Okay. Or who would you pick. Uh-huh. It was either 2016-2017 Westbrook MVP or 2010-2011 Derrick Rose MVP. So, I want to see who who'd you guys pick and why. I feel like the I, know, I feel like the Derrick Rose player would be a guy that I would feel more comfortable building a team around because I feel like his 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 focus isn't on individuality as much as Westbrook. I do believe that Westbrook wants to win. Don't make don't don't mistake me there. But I, I don't see Westbrook's style and the way he approached that season because I loved watching it as an, from an entertainment perspective, but it didn't work because he wore himself out in the playoffs. Whereas Derrick Rose, even though played very well. He, he ran into the bus all the Miami Heat, and there was nothing he could have done. I do believe, though, had that Miami Heat never existed, that team never existed, I do believe that Bulls team gets to a finals. At least one. It should get to the finals, And, yeah. and it's because it's because of the fact that Derrick Rose, <clears throat> especially that year, he had other awesome seasons, but especially that season was unstoppable. That guy, He was, at that point, maybe the best athlete we've ever seen at the point guard position, but his, his effectiveness in more ways than just being physically incredible is what set him apart. I feel like a lot of times, and, you, and Eddie, you can attest to this, you're a Thunder fan, and you probably enjoyed the shit out of that season as a, as a Thunder fan. Um, Russell Westbrook, there was a lot of times where he it seemed like he was chasing the numbers because he wanted to have that season to where only him and Big O had a, a season where he averaged a triple-double. It basically qualifies him automatically as an MVP, whereas Derrick Rose won MVP in LeBron's prime Without averaging a triple-double. It's because he led his team to the best record in the East. Yeah, for all being honest, though, LeBron still should have got MVP Absolutely. Year, There's no question. I'm not, still I'm better not than D. Rose that. That I'm year. saying that Derrick Rose won it against LeBron James in his prime. That is something that yeah, I Steph have to put over. One, yeah, I'm not saying it's always been fair and right. I'm just saying that I'm going to give Derrick Rose a lot of credit. To answer your question, give me 2010-2011 Derrick Rose. I mean, Russell Westbrook won an MVP against LeBron, KD, and all those same players. So, I mean... Uh, that's a tough question because they're both so individually great in different ways. D Rose definitely being more offensively prowess and his his ability to create at his size, similar to AI, how AI was so dominant at being undersized but still untouchable offensively. Um, so this is just a con- context free debate. Just basically just putting two guys on a pedestal and you have to pick one to start a team or just pick one who you think just is better. Who you think? Who do you think? Was better when they won that. That's so MVP. close. That's a tough. Who was better when they won their MVPs? Put it that way. Mm. Who was better when they won their MVPs? I'm going to say Russell Westbrook was better because Russell Westbrook was more complete player. He is definitely a better defender, bigger, stronger, faster. He's more athletic. He was. I think he was outside of a jump shot, which I think the only thing D Rose had on him. He was better at D Rose than at everything else. Maybe not leadership because the Thunder didn't win shit. Um, he didn't lead them to anything in that MVP year. They were still a good, they were a solid team, but 
if we're just going by strictly individuality, Westbrook's one of the greatest athletes we've ever seen in the NBA, period. He's pretty much a smaller version of LeBron. Outside of the, His IQ is not there with LeBron's, but because he, he pulls up some really stupid, idiotic shots a lot of times. He's extremely inefficient a lot of he times. He gets very hot-headed and kind of loses his cool, but his, his abilities are nearly unmatched from what we've seen from that point guard position. Derrick Rose was right there with them, but he's definitely more gifted, I think, than Derrick Rose. Like Derrick Rose had a better idea of well, like, the construct of a team. That's, you know no, what no, I mean? no, and he was definitely more clutch. Yes. Uh, well, I mean, it's yes. close. Yes. They both, yes. Hit, they both hit very yes. good. This is such a hard thing because they both hit Let's, incredibly clutch shots but in the playoffs, even, too. I'm, I'm giving Derrick Rose a ball every single time, but there's three seconds on the clock. For left. sure. I'm sorry. They're, they're both, Russ, yeah. Russ finds ways to shit the bed. If bro. I'm just going by strictly individ- individuality, who's the better player? Russell Wilson's, or Russell Wilson, Russell Westbrook's the better player. I would tend to agree with you on that. I, I don't, the I don't think that's wrong. I, I guess I guess that's I, just, a hard I, one, I, I guess like, I translated your question a little bit differently. Like, if I was to build my team, yeah. if we're building I'm, a team, I'm, I'm, I'm taking Derrick Rose, yeah. prime Derrick Rose. I'm yeah. sorry. If I'm building a team and expecting someone to start with chemistry wise, yeah. And, he, and to be honest, I don't think it was that much of a difference between athleticism between them. Well, and we've I seen, really don't. And we've seen, stars, really don't. we've seen stars come and play with Russell Westbrook and then leave possibly because of Russell Westbrook. He's not the easiest guy to get along with. He's kind of a hard-headed guy. Yeah. He, even, even him and, and Harden, I think, have butted heads a little bit since they've been together. So They're, they're talking about like, treating Russell Westbrook That's what I'm season. saying. So he know, might, like, We never heard anything ever like that with D-Rose. D-Rose is one of the most like chill, quiet, guys cool, calm, collected leaders you'll ever see in this game. And his, his apex is one of the greatest we've ever seen, too. Absolutely. And that MVP year was... Incredible. He was averaging what twenty seven and seven. Yeah, that's what makes it. I'm, like, dude, like honestly, I didn't know until I started talking who I was going to choose. Yeah. Like that was that's a that's a that's a great debate, great question. But I'm going to go with Westbrook just because his his individual overwhelming athletic ability. So All right. that was a good question. For sure, I agree, Eddie. Good job, Teddy Bear. I did my research. <laughs> uh, so earlier this week, Demarcus Cousins came out saying that he was going to wait until next season uh, to. To sign with the team and you know come come play basketball and you know give this time to to heal up and stuff like that, but I believe yesterday or the day before, uh, his agent came out and said that they're still waiting options for uh, for his client to to play in the resumed season. And my question to you guys is, what team do you think needs uh, or what team needs to be on top of this list of wanting DeMarcus uh, Cousins to play with him for for this for this resumed season? If I'm looking at it from a the team's perspective, like which team should seek him out? Yeah, yeah. Like sign him. <sighs> it's gonna be a bad team, first of all. <laughs> You're talking about a team that wants to overspin for a guy who once was a great player and could still be. I think he's almost about thirty years old now. Um, I, I think he could still have some basketball left in him. So if, if I'm guessing like a bad team, the Knicks. The Knicks need a name. They need recognition. They need to rebuild their brand, for that matter. DeMarcus Cousin also has that attitude, which they loved that back with Charles Oakley back in the day. Like He could maybe reinvigorate that style of basketball once again in New York, which they're dying for a star. So if I'm looking from a team's perspective, I would say like the Knicks, a team like that that just needs somebody to go and get tickets to, to, to people to purchase. But if I'm looking at it from DeMarcus' side... You do everything in your power to stay in L.A. You you do everything in your power to stay with the Lakers. Reason being, you're an automatic title contender, and he still fits this team very well. Because Anthony Davis will resign with the Lakers, and LeBron isn't going anywhere, at least until he well, retires, AD, in my opinion. They say AD gets hurt, which is a possibility. Exactly. And, so, and, and AD and DeMarcus have a long history together. Now, they played together for the last, what, three or four seasons. Yeah. So there is a camaraderie there with Rajon Rondo, who DeMarcus Cousins respects in, in, immensely. And unless Rajon decides to retire, I don't think he's going to leave either because I think he's under contract for another year. 
I think that's where he would want to stay or should stay, in my opinion. But it's a bad team that's going to pick him up. Someone's going to overspend for DeMarcus Cousins. You're going to see him get a $60 million deal. It's just going to be with a bad team like the Magic or the Knicks or somebody like that. Are you talking about continuing the season right now from the yeah. from the from where we're starting right now? Who who benefit the most? Yes. Oh, okay. i got to learn how to answer your questions correctly. Because, I, I, I mean, obviously, I think I'm, I'm just going to think the teams that are somewhat contenders or have a chance to make a run here. Um, I think the Rockets are actually the best spot because they already run small. He would be considered their probably biggest guy. So if they need to go up and play big against a team, you know, say maybe the, the Nuggets, say they face the Nuggets and they got to go against Jokic, who are they going to have guarding Jokic? They have absolutely nobody. So I think Boogie could go in there and immediately match up one-on-one and out-duel Jokic because I think Boogie, when he's on his game, is one of the best bigs easily in this game. He's very crafty and has a handle, and he can shoot the three. He can spread the floor just like Jokic can. At this point, I think Jokic is obviously the better player, but I think he's that guy the Rockets could use. To say they match up with the with with the the Nuggets, he could be that guy because they don't at this point they don't have anybody because they run the, the smallest lineup in the league. Um, so I think number one it would be the Rockets, and then I think the Lakers and uh, the Clippers. I think personality wise, the Clippers is the most perfect spot for him because it's that dog mentality, and that's him. He can go out there and get you a couple texts. Getting the players' heads, and that, I'm just—I'm the biggest Boogie fan out there. That's my guy. I love Boogie Cousins, always have. So I know he, he could be that guy that can go out there and get in the team's heads and rattle you a little bit, and you can lose games because of a guy like that. Um, and not only is he a, a goon, he's also an extremely talented goon. Um, so uh, those would be those would be probably my three teams. Just the the three of the top teams in the West, I think, would benefit the most because he would add that extra element. Obviously, the Lakers could use another talented big, but they have two solid bigs in Dwight Howard and, and AD. If, but if if I was the Rockets to say, for sure. if, no, I, if, if you want to answer, if, the, yes, question if I answer, answer the question, the question correctly, <laughs> yeah. not the Knicks. I don't answer. think there's any question. It's the San Antonio Spurs mm-hmm. because they lost. Lamar I think I mentioned Aldridge. that a couple weeks ago. Yeah, if they lost, if they lost Lamarcus Aldridge to the shoulder injury. He just got it repaired. Yeah. There's no question the Spurs because Greg Popovich still has every intent of contending. You get a you get a healthy Demarcus Cousins. Not this year, man. He's only got a year or two left no, as I'm a saying, head but coach. They don't have a chance like, this year. I'm just even saying, with Boogie. I'm just saying yeah. though, if he knew he can get an opportunity to have a healthy 30 year old Demarcus Cousins in replacing of Lamarcus yeah. Aldridge, yeah, but who he's knows absolutely what he can, doing yeah. it. Yeah, and and that's one of the few teams where I think Demarcus Cousins would be automatically the best team on the play on the team, plus best player on the team. When you go to the Lakers, no. You go to uh, – where else is it? Clippers, no. Uh, You go to the Rockets, no. He's not the best player on any of those teams. He would be the guy they build around, and I think that that's the perfect spot for him if he was healthy and if they were – Let's go back to Sacktown, man. Please, let's go back. Yeah, and win nothing. I That'd be it. perfect. Go <laughs> back to purgatory. That roster's, be- that roster's better than the Spurs right now. And dude. they still suck. <laughs> True. All right. Cool. Yeah. Luke Walton, fuck you. <laughs> All right, more NBA. All right, so earlier this week as well, Paul George said in 2017 he had the best power mm. forward in the game to agree to sign with the Pacers. This led to speculation and people to believe he was talking about Blake Griffin because he was a free agent in that 20, 2017 season. Yeah. Uh, so my question to you guys, like, if Blake Griffin would have joined the Pacers and the Pacers would have built around George and Griffin, do you think they would have had become a serious title contenders or do you think they would still be those choke artists that they that we know i'm leaning more on the side of choke artists just Mm. because of the fact that although they both are prolific stars in this league and i love both of those players we have seen both of them dwindle in the playoffs significantly dwindle in the playoffs i remember one of the biggest choke jobs i had ever seen was when the clippers had that 3-1 deficit on the rockets i think that was 2016 if i'm not mistaken 
and the Clippers choked that series away with home court advantage. Like, I don't even know how that's possible. With Blake Griffin, with Chris Paul, and a plethora of role players, that, that team should have absolutely been in the Western Conference Finals. No business in the world for them to lose in that series. Do we even need to, need to talk about Paul George? Like, let's be real here. The dude's an awesome player. He can rack it up with the best. The dude can drop 30 a night if he wants to. Incredible wing defender. Love him. But we've seen in the playoffs him choke time and time again. He's never hit a big shot in his entire career. I'm at the place, man, I'm like, look, they would be fun to watch. They'll win 55-plus games a season. If, if they're going against a Giannis Bucks team, I'm still probably going to pick the Bucks, even though the star talent leans more on the Pacers side. I have more faith in a guy like Giannis to get it done in the playoffs than I would either one of them even together. Would it have made them a better team and, and, and possibly a contender? Absolutely. Um, having that athleticism at that power forward position, which they were solely lacking in that Pacers team, adding the best at that time, the best power forward, the most athletic power forward, hands down at that time, Blake Griffin, who's still very well a, a top player in this league still, and then his absolute apex at that time, absolutely they would have been uh, a contender. But the problem is LeBron James was still in the East at that time. And we all know what happens when Paul George faces LeBron James. He can have big games here and there in spotty moments, but he's never he's never going to beat LeBron James, and that's going to continue in the West. And we'll see that Thank this you. year. But that that's the biggest problem there. They would they, they would have been on the list if we were listing contenders to begin the year, and you're looking at rosters and breaking down the season. Of course, Paul George and Blake Griffin, and then you know I think Darren Collison and all those other players they had on that team. That were, I think Miles Turner is another solid big who can shoot the three. That's a solid roster. They were building. Lance Stevenson, I think, yeah. was still there. Yeah, <laughs> he's a solid player when he's on his game. Yeah, very yeah. crafty. He's not all there, but he's very crafty. <laughs> um, and he definitely had some battles with LeBron James. Um, but the, the, quite frankly, yeah, they, the, he just wouldn't have been able to beat LeBron. They, they probably would have been in the, met in the Eastern Conference Finals numerous times because um, he would have made that team that much better. But Blake Griffin, if we're looking at it in reality, I doubt Blake Griffin really, really wanted to go to Indiana. I really, really doubt that. So we ended up in Detroit. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm just saying. I, well, I mean, that. Well, I don't know if that was really his choice. Though. I'm just saying it's just funny that you say, like, oh, he didn't want to go to Indiana. And we're looking at, like, well, he's in Detroit well, right now. Yeah, so. yeah, that's just the way. Well, I mean, and PG obviously wanted out there as well. So that, that I mean, I'm just, I think it worked out for Paul George. He's in L.A. now. So he's, either way, ironically, if he wanted to play Griffin, he, he got him. He got out of L.A. And now Paul George is in L.A. So that's the irony there with the Clippers. But, um they definitely would have been much improved, man. That's without a doubt. You can't add Blake Griffin to a roster and not expect to be immediately that much better. He's one of the best. At least, at least more exciting. Like, oh, there's no I mean, question just, about that. Just the opportunity to have a guy run baseline with the athleticism to get up and get the ball and open and, and that's whatever. Not pretend like Blake Griffin can't J it up. Like, well, not this just guy that. Is great, his post awesome game, shooter. his post game ability too, his ability to to back you down and you know give you a little you know the Timmy D shimmy and stuff. He can still he's very crafty inside. He would have made that team whole lot better easily. Um, whole but, lot better. LeBron James was still in the East that time, so it doesn't really matter. Case closed. A.K.A. what I said. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. All right. <laughs> All right, moving away from NBA. Ah, oh, damn it. I was liking this. It's about time we moved away from the Let's NBA. The bonus gone. <laughs> so, I believe it was today, Kyle Coward released his top five top arm talents in the NFL. <laughs> I, I want to hear your top five arm talent, arm talent in the league and why? Okay, why my definition it? of arm talent is clearly different than Collins. I think yeah. if I'm if I'm guessing correctly, because I've listened to Collins for about twelve years now, um, what he likes to do is he likes to hmm. obviously stand out with his takes, but more than more than that, he likes to almost create his own definition sometimes, and hmm. that can be very dangerous because it, it can oftentimes just sound extremely biased because you're just trying to make a make a point to to prove your opinion correct. And I think that's what he did today. Unfortunately, I, I know that. 
the the title of what they were saying wasn't what he meant. He was talking about arm talent as in who throws the most catchable ball. And he didn't have Patrick Mahomes in the five. And the reason Colin got crushed is because that is ridiculous. Like Trevor and I were debating before the show. There is no list that you can name that is a positive thing for a quarterback that Patrick Mahomes is not in the top five in. You can't look at that. Look at what he does on a week-in, week-out basis and tell me that he's not top five in something when it Mm -hmm. comes to anything in quarterbacks and what they do. So that automatically just discredited the whole list. When it comes to catchable ball, I would love to know the further definition of what that is. Is it just accuracy? Because Patrick Mahomes completes over 66% of his passes, which is one of the best in the league at this at, at this current time since he's been in the league. And he throws over eight yards an attempt, which is by far the most per, per throw in the NFL. So all those things considered. Now to answer your top five part, Patrick Mahomes obviously is on the list. I don't want to give you a one through five because it's I would have to break all that down. I'll just give you five names that I believe. So I'm going to start with Patrick Mahomes, obviously. I think after that, if you want to go by... Arm talent, Aaron Rodgers has to be on that list. That is just absolutely absurd that Aaron Rodgers wasn't mentioned on that list. That guy has maybe the greatest arm we've ever seen, besides Patrick Mahomes. Matthew Stafford, you're damn right I said Matthew Stafford. He is so underrated, he is so underappreciated because of where he played, just like Tony Romo was. Russell Wilson, clearly, second best quarterback in the league, best deep ball in the entire game. There's no question he's on my list. Now the fifth one gets a little tricky, because you could say Drew Brees, but Drew Brees doesn't have a great arm. Anymore, but he's man. extremely accurate. So there's a lot of you know meddling there. You could really say Drew Brees, but you, maybe you don't want to. I'm going to go actually with Carson Wentz mm. because of the fact that when he's healthy, he has arguably one of the most deadly, like, top three arm for sure in the entire league, incredibly mobile, incredibly accurate outside the pocket, but extremely, and I mean deadly accurate, inside the pocket. And he has had a revolving door and, and his offensive line. Jason, Jason Peters, one of the greatest tackles of all time, Injured constantly and is 38 years old. Carson Wentz continued to get out there and sling the ball. Minus those injuries, that guy has by far one of the best arms in the NFL. So that is my five. Yeah, I don't know. That whole segment just got shot to shit because he it was just a it was a mess from the get go. Somebody screwed something up and he had to like he was getting just absolutely murdered on Twitter. Um, if I had to make a list, I think you had Stafford a little too high for my liking, but I do think Stafford is up there. Um, as far as arm, just pure arm talent as far as from throwing from different platforms, making the toughest throws under pressure, on the run, out of the pocket, within the pocket, all of it combined. Mahomes is obviously the top dog here. It's not a question. Um, Aaron Rodgers is obviously my number two. He's right up there. He's tooth and nail with Mahomes as far as who's the most talented with the ball in their hands. Russell Wilson's right up there too as well, who is not somebody who had that from the very beginning but developed that and has that baseball background to kind of help you know his evolution of becoming that. Um, one guy you didn't mention who I have in my number four spot is Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray is already one of the best throwers of the football in the league. He, he didn't get the shine last year because he's stuck in Arizona right now, who I think is going to be a better and improved team this year. You can watch that guy spin the ball. It's incredible for his size. I'm just talking pound for pound because the size he is, is it, he, he's so short, it's hard enough to, for him to see. A lot of his throws have to come from outside of the pocket because he can barely see over his own linemen. Similar to how it was with Drew Brees when he came, came to the league and how everyone was calling him undersized and the way he throws when he's looking up when he's throwing the ball downfield. His ability to throw on the run for being undersized and having smaller hands and have the tightest spirals he does and have the accuracy and the zip on his balls is incredible. So I have him in my number four. I have a two-way tie in my number five with Carson Wentz and Matthew Stafford. I think those two guys are similar. I, you had him, I think, Stafford at three. I didn't think well, I didn't really rank him. I just gave you five yeah. names. And I just listened to him I was just off the top of my head. I jotted down right yeah. now. But Stafford and Carson Wentz, to me, are pretty much the same guy. 
neither one of them have really won anything. I mean, Carson Wentz won by default, but it wasn't him that won. And Stafford is just too talented to be stuck in Detroit, and it sucks. He's been spending his career there. He could, if he was on, you know, another team or another franchise, he could have done something more with his career. No but, question, man. But you, Stafford, you imagine is, what Andy Reid could do with a Matt Stafford. Yeah, Stafford, like he, without a doubt, is one of the best throwers <laughs> in football in the league. Don't tell and, Kent and, Swanson this, though. Andy, don't tell Kent. And besides the fact that he's an Iron Man, the don't guy, tell Kent. He'll, he'll literally <laughs> break through the door. I don't think he's a top five quarterback. I don't think he's a top five quarterback, but I definitely think he's a top five. Kent's going to DDT me in the KCPN studios. <laughs> We'll show him this clip next Matt time. Ryan's up, Matt Ryan's up there, too. Don't get that wrong. Ooh, okay. All right. Next question. We're going to baseball. So Major League Baseball has officially have, uh, got a start date. Uh, I believe it's the 23rd of July. Yep. Um, what are your thoughts on the season finally getting going? And also your thoughts on the universal ADA DH that they... They're talking about. Well, it. first of all, I, I mean, I'm so glad I'm wrong. I'm going to hold an L real quick because I said that the, the baseball season wasn't going to happen. And yeah. it, and to be honest, it didn't look like it was going to happen for a little bit. Way, for sure. um, I'm glad baseball's back. I, 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 at the same time, I don't know if I'm really going to care because of the fact that I feel like the, the league has has caused even more of an issue. There was the MLB was already at a trajectory of, of sliding significantly in popularity and ratings. This situation only hurts them even more. I do believe, though, 60 games is going to be exciting because every game is going to matter. And the best pitching staffs are going to absolutely matter in the, in the season, not just in the postseason, but during the regular season. So I'm really looking forward to us making our official predictions on this show about it because I think there's going to be some serious dark horses in this, and the Royals might actually be one of them, as crazy as that sounds, and we'll talk Ooh. about that in a later date. But, but... I'm going to tell you something that I, since I can remember, Trevor, you remember when we were growing up in high school, we always had these debates about how I felt that the NL was so outdated. Baseball's mm-hmm. already outdated in itself. The major league is always so far behind. Yeah. But the NL still throwing out pitchers to bat, you know, 111, you know, being being yeah. sacrificed. Like, didn't it, like, irk anybody else when you'd see the pitcher out there with the, the jacket on? He's, like, running the bases half-assed, knowing he's going to get tagged that's out. Like give, that's like giving a punter one chance to play a quarterback every every other yeah, quarter just, or something. Yeah, like, have him go chuck a Hail Mary yeah. or some shit. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, like, it, it's, it's, it's gimmicky, yeah. honestly, to have. Yeah. I know that baseball is a million years old and that pitchers used to hit back in the day and they actually used to be good. But as time developed and guys started to focus on their craft the more, pitchers, were also pitchers worse. stopped batting as much. Yeah. And they stop caring about batting, so you're essentially an automatic out. So the DH, although I don't believe the NL teams have evolved to the place where they have some guy waiting that can hit 35 home runs, to me, it's going to add another level of offensive excitement. And plus, you're talking about, you know, with all the shifts and this bullcrap going on with the league, I, I honestly hate the way they do shifts because it, is, it, it almost takes away from the excitement of trying to see a guy that can hit home runs or pull a ball down the line. It almost takes that away because it's an automatic out if you hit right into the netting of five defenders on one side of the field. Right. I think that with the, the, the versatility and the, manda- the mandating of this new rule, the NL and the AL are going to have to play the game a little differently because both leagues aren't used to playing with DHs every single game as far as playing against each other and in the World Series, things of that nature. Because if you look in the, in the World Series, when they play at the home field of the AL team, they have DHs. When it's in the NL, it's not. Now it's all the time. I think this needs to stay this way. Right. I think this is one of the few ways that people may not even realize it, but this is a way that baseball can really bring themselves back. Or just let Mark McGuire and Sosa come back on steroids. Juice it up. <laughs> no, um, as far as this whole, as far as baseball coming back, it's only good for fans and Honestly, life in general, we need something on the TV other than CNN or Fox News, whichever party you belong to. Um, we need this. You know, we need the NBA to get back in, in, you know, in a hurry. We need MLB. We need baseball. I'm not the biggest baseball guy, but I will say this. I think 
I actually think this whole debacle is great for the MLB. I think it's gonna it's 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 done nothing but force them to, to self reflect on everything, not only from their ownership, from all the owners of every single team, the owner of the MLB himself, all the players and what they stand for and what they play for and what they're gonna put up with and not put up with. I think it's I think this has been huge for all all the way around for the entire sport and the the culture of it. I think they should shorten the season moving forward. I think they should make the games count more because there's so many games that is I I mean. I, Every day, Sports Center highlights of games that are just meaningless for the most part. Like I just that's why I, I never can tune into baseball like that religiously until the playoffs. The playoffs are always fun because every game is on the line, everything's intense, every guy's diving and, and, and digging in for every play and every to field every single ball. You know, it, it matters. So I think the I think the sixty season, the sixty game season is actually super exciting. I think it, it puts the pressure on the players from day one. And I think they're gonna. I think they should shorten the season moving forward. Like I said. So, um, but as far as the DH thing, that only makes sense too. It's kind of a common sense issue. Like Neil said, since said since we've been in high school, we've been talking about you know, pitchers should be pitchers. That should be their only role. There's no reason to be putting up there, you know, swinging away and looking super uncoordinated and embarrassing themselves. It's not fair to them to be honest. That's not really their goal or their role. So, um, yeah, the DH position on both NL and AL is it only makes sense. Um. The AL has been ahead of that curve for a while now. Um, so as far as the, just the quality of the game, it only makes sense. Um, and I think they're going to have to do a lot of tweaking and stuff to make this the, the game of baseball a little more exciting. Um, because they've been obviously it's been trending downwards for some years now, for all being honest. They have great players, and it's fun to watch, especially if you're going to a baseball game. It's one of the best experiences you can have. It's America's pastime. It has a, an aura to it whenever you go to a baseball game, no matter the stadium. It's just an aura to it. Um, so baseball is great. I'm glad it's back. Um, I'm glad that they figure out something with the players. Um, I'm glad we have something to watch on TV now and that'll be, you know, good for everybody. So it's, it's all good for me. I just think, I think this is a good, I think this is a good chance for baseball to self-reflect and, and, and moving forward to better their product. All right. What's well, up for baseball? These last two questions are going to be a little, a little more interesting. Oh shit. <laughs> Uh, this first question is: There's a there's a group of Native American people uh, who obviously find the name of the NFL team, Washington Redskins, offensive. They have asked the players to sit out for the season uh, as a protest of the name uh, until the name changes. So I want to hear your thoughts on that. I think, honestly, and this is going to get a little serious, I think we in America forget how this whole thing became. I think uh, a lot of people overlook or just aren't, haven't been educated as to how it all became what this is. And for those of you that don't know, there were once these people called the Native Americans that owned this land, that lived here and flourished, and then one day they didn't. And that's because it was taken from them. So needless to say, it's, it's, it is rather sensitive, despite the dwindling numbers of true Native Americans in our, in our country each and every year, for various reasons that we don't have to get into, but it's just facts. Despite that, there is this voice, whether it's silent or quieter than other voices, it's still there. And they're asking to have things reconcil- reconciled and recognized. And for some reason, I don't get, and I've never understood my entire life, seeing that Trevor and I do have Native American uh, ancestry in our family. 
I, I've asked this question to people I know that are Native Americans from reservations or people that I grew up with that have Native American blood as well. We asked our grandfather, who was mostly Cherokee Indian himself, Native American rather, um, how it how it became such an acceptable thing and even to this day acceptable to use uh, uh, discriminatory and degrading names as profit to use these names that are derogatory to an entire race of people for profit. I've never understood how that's still a thing. And I, when I heard this on the way to the studio tonight on The Odd Couple with Chris Broussard, I, I almost got emotional because yeah. it felt like for so long this was just something that people didn't care about and didn't give two shits to talk about because it made them feel uncomfortable or didn't feel important to them. It's finally on the forefront. We have Native Americans because the defense has been from a lot of white Americans is, well, the natives don't really care. They don't. They're not, it's not a big deal to them. We are now hearing Native Americans speak out about it because I feel like they feel that they're black brothers and sisters who are finally getting their chance to shine and get change in our society. They feel like, okay, okay, we, the platform's there for us now. Let's speak out. Let's get out there and let's make something happen. Let's make something real out of this. Yeah, take advantage of the moment that we're in right now. That is a horrible name. That should have never been a name. That's why on this show, and if you go to any uh, a spoke, uh, on the spoken group in Facebook, you search my name. And see if I ever use that word. Because I haven't. I haven't used it. Because it is a racial word. It is a racist word. And it should have never been used to begin with. And I am so glad. And I hope these players... I'm not going to tell these players what to do. But as I said three weeks ago when we talked about the injustice in our society. I, you can't blackball every player if every player does it. If every, t- every player kneels or every player protests. Whatever the protest is about. If they stand for something. If they kneel for something. And it makes everybody else uncomfortable. They can't blackball all of them. So I hope... That there is a nucleus of players, whether it is that entire Washington roster, whether it is the rest of the league, it doesn't matter. If there are players that are willing to do something about it, I hope they do. And I hope they can be the voices for the voiceless. Because that is what the Native American people have been in our country since white men came over and took it. Let's just be real for a second, man. So to answer your question, Eddie, I'm sorry that I just delved off on that. But it is something that personally bothers me to the core because it is something that has been so ignored by our society. And I'm so glad that it is finally being brought to light because it should have never been something we even had to address to begin with. Yeah, it's embarrassing. And it's... it's The part that bothers me the most is this is nothing new, man. This is anyone who is quote unquote woke um, or, you know, with it, you know, or is even mindful of anything like this that goes on or is said or even like, you know, passing, uh, you know, passive aggressiveness things or backhanded compliments this country has used um, in in an arrogant way. We have so many streets and cities and things named after these uh, these, uh, Native American tribes and people. And it, as if it's people think it's some kind of ode to these people or some kind of respect, it's not. That's not the case. It's 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 a backhanded compliment, man. It's it's we owned you, so we can just take your name and use it whatever we want. We can use any derogatory term, no matter what. That's just the arrogance of this country, the country that I love, that I'm a part of, that I'm that I'm that I'm bred in. But there's things we have to work on, and this is and I've been using this term around my social media, and it's been either triggering some people or getting the intentions in a, in a good way of some people, but the cleansing that we're going through as a country is is absolutely necessary um, with all kinds of things, with glorified statues of people that were absolutely horrible people. I don't care if they made their mom a sandwich at one point in their life. That's that's terrific. But we, these people need to go. This 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 history that is being, that's been glorified for hundreds of years needs to go. These, regardless if they're billion-dollar teams 
franchises, you can change the name and make plenty of money off that rebranding. It's not that big of a deal. You can do it in a week or two if you wanted to. Um, and the term Redskins, I know I said it, but the term Redskins also is not only just a derogatory term. It was used when the white men would scalp native people. They would call the Redskins. They would collect the Redskins of these 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 members of these tribes. So if you really want to get into it, it's worse than it even sounds, man. It's not just a, a racial derogatory terms towards the skin or the sect of people that we're talking about. It's it's also the the representing the the murder and the absolute genocide of these people went through. So if you think it's a good thing, there's no good involved with it at all. It's not glorifying those people. It's not. It's in, in no way is it a positive thing. So it needs to go. It's been needing to go. We'll see if it happens. If these players want to stand against it, that the the players have the power, and I really hope that they take advantage of it and listen to these native people that finally have a voice because there's such a small people, small group in this country now. Um, so hopefully their voices are heard. Hopefully the 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 players in the NFL, even outside of Washington, stand for it as well. Um, so it, it, like I said, the cleansing needs to continue. We're we're moving forward. We're we're making thing. We're making you know progress with all this. We're cleaning out the the house and you know getting rid of things that are unnecessary that need to go. Um, and that's just another one of them that needs to go. So I'm 100 percent with the movement, man. So do you think uh, Roger Goodell and this system as the commissioner can can come in and be like, you're not going to be part of the league unless you change yeah. the name? He has is, that power. Is that, I'm is that, that he power does. that he has? The way I see he it, has that power the, the way sure. I see it, yeah, he, he at least has the power to make it known that he stands in opposition of it. And if he stands in opposition of it, they can go to a vote and talk to the yeah. other thirty-one owners and say, "Hey, yeah, he alone doesn't. We have need that to power. make a decision on this because it's now being on. It's now being put on the table, just like anything else. When it came to the Rooney Rule, yeah. When it came to any of these other race-related topics, when it comes to Colin Kaepernick now. It is becoming something of normalcy that the league has to address. They can't hide behind things. But like anymore. you said, like you said, Goodell has his power, but you know who has the most? The players. Absolutely. Because the players are the product. The player, if the players in that Washington team decide to sit down, them. you have nothing to put on the field. You can't go get the XFO guys and make make do. That, yeah. that isn't possible. It's not reality. Yeah, they'll have to throw on some high school uniforms and go out there and play if you know if it's a last minute type thing and they they decide to sit down like they. And it's not like rebranding. Look, I mean, look, look at the. I think the Broussard even talked about on the show today too about how the Washington Bullets changed from the Bullets when they're having a really high crime rate in, in Washington at that time. And it changed no from the cared. Bullets to the Wizards, and, and they made cared. crazy money turning you know selling all those new jerseys and everything for the Wizards program. And this is an opportunity for Washington, the franchise yeah. of Washington, and Dan Snyder for that matter, who is maybe the worst yeah. owner in all of sports outside of James Dolan. Yeah. That. He, this is an opportunity for him to really save some face, too, if we're being honest here on he the business get, he side. He could get forced out somehow, though. They could find a way to, to you know. But if he doesn't want to change, then we can talk about that. For sure, for sure. What I'm saying is the franchise has an opportunity here to really make themselves look good. This is exactly what I talked about when I, when I said about the Chiefs signing Colin Kaepernick. It's that very same thing. You can make right what was wrong. You have the opportunity and the power. If, the, if, if Washington came out and said, right now, we have decided we're rebranding. Yeah, you're going to get people that are going to be negative about that. But yeah. you you can't worry about those folks because they're going to be the minority. The majority of people are going to agree with this because everybody understands Especially good right well. Yeah. This is not a this isn't this is this is criminal. This is not right. It's not right to have these names. Because it's no different. It is literally no different than having a team with the N-word as their name. It is no different. It is a derogatory slur derogatory slur to a race of people. It is that simple. 
I know white people wouldn't be okay if some team was called the Caucasians. Maybe some would. That's called the Aryan Brotherhood. But I'm talking about the normal white person. Or the crackers. Or the They'd be like, hey, this is offensive. What the hell, man? I don't understand this. You know, I'm, I have Irish heritage. Why are you guys called the mix? Like, no one's going to call it. Nobody's got a, cool got with a that. bunch of black guys playing for the crackers. Come That's on, what man. I'm saying, man. Like, no yeah. one's okay. No, to the core of us humans. Yeah. We're not going to be okay with this. And people are not okay with this. I guarantee you, that Washington franchise would be praised for this. They need to take advantage of it because right now it just continues to be a stain on their reputation. Yeah. And quite frankly, their entire reputation because yep. they're not a great football it's team. It's got to go, man. It's time. It's been time for real. All right. So. Going to the last question. We're going into, we're going to NASCAR. Uh, I'm sure you guys were, were waiting on this. So FBI recently released its findings in the Bubba Wallace incident in Talladega. I want to hear your thoughts about the findings. Like, what, like, what are you? Where are you guys standing on that? So I'm supposed to believe that of 1,684 garages in all of NASCAR, they had a grand total of 11 garage doors that had rope ties, and only one of those 11 out of the 1,684. Did you catch that number? Uh, total garage doors that had a noose. Style not is the same garage that the only black driver was in during that time that NASCAR decided after 70 years to ban the Confederate flag. Uh, that it's a, all coincidence that this all took place at the exact same time that Black Lives Matter movement has a grown has grown a louder voice than ever, and that NASCAR's only black pl- uh, a driver, Bubba Wallace, was the only was the one that had to deal with this new style not. I'm supposed to believe that. Yes. Look, 16 federal agents were put on this case. Richard Petty, the owner of the car that Bubba Wallace drives, himself identified this as a noose. It was something he had never seen before. A man who's been in racing for over 60 years. The FBI titled it a noose themselves. NASCAR essentially recanted that it was in that exact same noose style not back in October of 2019. There's something similar, but not the one that they just released the picture of just yesterday. Let's just call it and see it for what it is. It's not a coincidence. Okay? I have a NASCAR source, okay? And I reached out to this guy this last week, this this entire week. Let's just call him NASCAR Nate, okay? That's that's what we're going to call him from here on out. He might be a guest of the show one of these days. He gave me some real insight on how these things go within the garages, how NASCAR has been trying to get rid of the Confederate flag for years, and they finally did, which, by the way, by the way hold this L, Confederates. Um, he broke down how it's highly unlikely that this was this is what, what it had, had initially looked like but even he had to admit that this looks bad. Like We were talking through this entire process, and once that last picture came out, even he texted me and was like, oh, fuck. Like, he had to admit that. That is why it, sh- that it should have never happened. He, he said that himself. That, that no matter if this is intentional, coincidence, whatever the case is, this should have never happened. And if you see the picture, there's no, no denying that is clearly a noose. It is not a, a pull. And so that is why I'm in the same place that our guy NASCAR Nate is at. Even though I'm not a fan of NASCAR, I don't watch NASCAR, and he's obsessed with it, and he watches it every single time. I'm going to sit and let this play out. Because if there's anything I know about myself, is there are a lot of times I jump to conclusions, and I make the wrong judgment. We did that very same thing with Tyreek Hill. I crushed that dude on this show. I said I wanted him gone, and what do you know? He was 100% innocent, and I felt like a jackass. So I'm going to let this play out because I do not think this is over. I do not think this is done. I think we still have a long way to go with this. I know they're trying to downplay it and say, oh, good, it wasn't Bubba Wallace that they were targeting. Oh, good. 
There is no coincidences to me in this. I don't think there was any chance that this just happened to happen, and he happened to be in that same garage at this exact same time and place. I think there's something to it, but I'm going to reserve the majority of my opinion on this and, and, and my solidified stance until we know exactly what took place if we ever really do end up getting that opportunity. Yeah, this one, like you nailed it on the head with the Tyreek thing. Like I, I, I was kind of quiet on this whole thing for a while. I was kind of letting it play out and see how it went. I was definitely overwhelmed with emotion when I saw the, the, the drivers pushing him and that was a that was a cool scene to witness. Just okay, we all know the noose is just a, another type of knot that you can type, you can tie. But as for someone who who drives for a living, deals with a lot of door poles every day, whether it's on the truck or it's on a garage door, I deal with them every day. I've never come across any knots like that for a for a door pole. Um, I'm not saying I'm, I'm putting myself on the level of NASCAR if how common that is. From what I've heard and what I've gathered, it doesn't seem to be that common. And I don't really see how, how, how much of a help having a noose pull really helps pull the door shut. It doesn't really make too much sense to go out of, the, out of your way to make that you know, type of knot for a door pull. It's really simple. You just pull the, pull the rope and you shut it and you latch it. It's, I, I felt unnecessary. And it, the fact that it was his garage was just a little odd. And the fact that the FBI was so quickly... It, able to shut the whole thing down and claim that it was there for, what, almost a year or something like that, or a couple Since of years? Since October of 2019, according to the initial reports. Yeah, it, it, it definitely it stinks. Did, but then the NASCAR, then NASCAR said they were going to continue their investigation, even yeah. without the FBI, a third party. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, people want to say he cried wolf too early, and, you know... It, I don't. I don't think you know. He's already a talented driver. He's been touted as he's been in the NASCAR. I think he was like seventeen or eighteen. And he didn't ask for any of this. So it's, yeah, it's not he like didn't he's even not see it initially. It's not like he's not like he's like <laughs> just crying for fame. He's like the sole brother out there. He doesn't need more attention in NASCAR. So it's like the guy. And, and something else NASCAR Nate said uh, that I agreed with was. I do believe that now that Bubba Wallace has has garnered some attention from this, mm. he hasn't he hasn't avoided avoided that. Oh yeah, he's taking a head on. He, he's definitely he's leaning into it. Which I, 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 let's be honest here for a second, any person really would in a, in a yeah. moment like this where you are getting attention for this. No one, I'm not going to blame him for that or crucify him for that. What I'm hating though is this Jussie Smollett yeah. comparison, dude. That yeah. is absolutely th- this is this could not be more of a different situation. Yeah. If you actually know what the Jesse Smollett situation was, he divides that entire situation. Well, he claimed two black guys attacked him. Right. That's a and, whole well, different dynamic, and, though, and, too. Here's Bubba just trying to make it in the circuit here yeah. because he's a very average driver at this time, right. according to NASCAR Nate. He's not one of the best he's, drivers in the in the mar- in the yeah. circuit right now. He's young still, so he could be eventually, but he doesn't even drive for one of the better teams. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of problems here. The point though is, yes, he is capitalizing this on this, and I don't blame him first of all, but second of all, what is he supposed to do? Like right. I, I want to know. I would love to hear the breakdown of how he could have better handled this situation. Not say anything, pretend like it didn't exist. Downplay it constantly? No. We are in the midst of a real problem in our society that is continually growing and becoming made more aware. The least he could do is talk about it and speak about it and put a face to it. And I love, I'm going to give NASCAR so much credit because they're doing the right thing. They have championed behind him. They are pushing him forward, literally. And saying this is our guy. Yeah, they put we the, they put the picture. It. They put the picture of the noose out there. They've been, you know, very open about very it. Very upfront about and it. The fact that he's doubling down on it and he's he's claiming, you know, I've been in and out of garages most of his, not all of his life, being a driver like that. And he said he's never seen 
that type of knot for a garage pull. I've driven for, most of my jobs I've ever had as an adult have been driving jobs, you know, in and out of garages, parking, whatever, closing garage doors. I've never seen poles like that. I'm not saying that it can't be common in certain parts or for certain people have a specific want for that type of pull on your rope. That's fine. A lot of people out here would, would know way before I would as far as NASCAR goes, but I don't, I don't think anyone else came out and defended it. Any other drivers came out and said, oh, yeah, I use a noose pole for my garage. So I- That's been my entire stance because when I made the post on Facebook about this entire situation a few days ago, I got a lot of feedback on it from the opposite side of how this was, this was no big deal. And I kept asking the same question I could not get an answer for. If this is common practice, why is it not treated like common practice? If this is something that is so normal, why is it not being treated like normal? If we know anything about NASCAR, us people that don't watch very often, it's that it's a very niche sport. People watch it. They grow up. They love this thing. This is something you're born into. You don't you don't just see some random Teddy over there going, you know what? I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to try NASCAR this year. You know, no one does that. Yeah. You're born into this. You you have uncles and dads and moms that love NASCAR. You're born into it. That is something that you're born into. And so I, I have a hard time believing these people who are raised to be NASCAR fans or raised to in the racing world to not stand out before the FBI even investigates and start tweeting out, hey, this happens all the time. Why are we even investigating this? There was none of that. Drivers around Bubba who had no dog in the race, literally, mm. were saying, yeah, this is a problem. Rusty Wallace, once again, one of the legends of this sport. He's like he's like the Bill Russell of NASCAR. NASCAR ain't probably going to kill me on that comparison. But the fact remains, he's a living legend yeah. in the world of racing. And he's saying it's a problem. He identified it as a noose. Yeah, Kyle Petty. I'm going to take the words of the experts and say it is a noose. It is something that we cannot ignore, downplay, or pretend that it's not real. That has been the number one problem against black people in our society, is pretending that their problems that they face every single day is not real. Mm Mm-hmm. And so now we got to treat this as real. Do I hope it wasn't targeted to Bubba? Of course. I don't want to see something negative come of this. I don't want to believe that people are out there threatening his life in this passive-aggressive, pussy-ass way. I don't want to believe that's real. But could it be? Yes. So let's keep that platform open. Let's keep that possibility in mind. And let's see where it goes. That's where I want to keep it. Yeah, if it was really that common of 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 a knot for a garage pull, door pull... There would be a lot more sample sizes of those being around, and people would be sharing them on social media for their garages. <laughs> we'd see and, other garage doors with that same see, yeah, thing. Yeah, we'd see other if other professional drivers were 1, like, "Hey, 684. hey, I use, It's not actually. It's actually pretty common. I use it, and they'll take a picture. Most people with social media today, like you would see it making the rounds. So, yeah, I mean, and for the people, I just want to say this too. Throw this in for the people that are so quickly to, to attack him because they think he fa- he he faked it or he's just using it as for attention. You're telling on yourself, okay? We all know. We I see all over my social media. Everyone's like, "Oh, this idiot!" Blah 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 blah. blah, blah. He's using it for an attention. Uh, typical black guy, only guy, black guy in the, in the NASCAR. You know, found the noose, and it, it turns out it was all it was all his fault, or he he knew about it, or it wasn't that big of a deal. And it's common. You're telling on yourself, okay? If you're that quickly to judge the guy, and you weren't you were dead ass quiet about it before, we we see what you're what you're all about. So I just want to throw that out there as well. That is it. That's all I got. Damn, that was a good Eddie hour, man. That was a damn good Eddie hour. You're stepping your game up, It was up, okay. Homie. It was okay. The teddy bear has stepped his game up. We're getting a little controversy. We're getting a little fun. Like, you got me all triggered again. Like, Eddie, you, you found my button, bro. Congratulations on that. You're, you're doing yes, well, bro. Yes, like, need to change my pants, Eddie. Just like that. All right. When we get back, we're visiting you guys. We're going to let you guys in. We're going to let you guys gather around us and ask us a few questions. You can only imagine... 
Mr. Donnie Couch took it took the opportunity. I'm just gonna take a wild guess here. Mr. Couch himself is a part of this one. So when we get back, guys, we're gonna have you guys give us a little bit of what you're thinking back to that episode. Midcoast Modern is a Kent City focus on modern handmade and small brands. A resource for design-centric home goods, apparel, jewelry, artwork, and limited edition gifts. We support makers, artists from the Midcoast and bring in goods from makers, artists around the U.S. to offer a unique selection. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. To get on the Spoken Podcast for segment number four, I'm your host Lance Twidwell here inside the KCPN Studios with my guys Trevor Twidwell, What's good? Eddie Ortiz, yo, yo, yo. the one and the only Miss Gad herself. Let's open up the Monday Mailbag. Eddie, what do we have going on in the Monday Mailbag this week? And let me guess, is it Mr. Donny Couch starting off? I, I I win five bucks. I'll I'll pay myself five bucks. I'll Venmo myself five bucks in a bet if it's Donny Couch. Who is it? Donny Couch. It's Donny Couch. Thanks, Lance, for the five bucks. All right. Um, it says, my main question this week was for Lance. If you were to become the commissioner of the Major League Group of Baseball, what would your first act as commissioner be? Oh, man, that's a good question because there's a lot of things I would do to change baseball. Um, for one, I would absolutely mandate the DH for both leagues. Um, I would maintain the consistency of the interleague play. I love the way they, they, they do things where throughout the season now they have interleague play where it's not like this little chunk like they used to when we were growing up. I would take away shifts. You're not allowed to use shifts, especially on left-handed pull hitters. That is, that is just a robberation of great power left-handed hitters. You take away that, you take away that. Um, and also, and this is going to probably be something that I will get a lot of feedback on and probably some backlash I would allow players to use PEDs if it's able to be passed through Congress. If they can get that legally done, Keep dreaming, dude. I would. That's what I'm saying. Like I would push for that. I would yeah. push for the legal. Like marijuana would not be. You, you don't get suspended for marijuana use. And PEDs. You're so progressive, Lance. Why? I know, right? It's almost like I want things to be better for us. Why do you want people to be um, happy? Yeah, and HGH PEDs, anything that that helps maintain these superstar Acid. athletes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. LSD. <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Like any, anything, <laughs> anything that these guys Shrooms. can use. That, that these guys, because I, I, I opened up the last week's show about this when I talked about McGuire and Sosa. They saved baseball, and how oh. did they do that? They saved it by using performance enhancing drugs to maintain their skill set, and it revolutionized baseball forever. And it kept the game relevant, and it took them to a place it never went before. Those are the three main things I would do first and foremost. I guarantee you, there are other things I could think of that would, you know, I, I'm all I'm all for speeding up the game too. And like, to Trevor's point earlier, yeah. I would shorten the season. Yeah. Now, not by a lot. No. I'm not. I'm not talking like 60 games. Maybe difference. 100 season, 100 game season, maybe. I, I no. I'm going. The lowest I would go is 120 because of the fact that this is the reason why baseball is a sacred sport when it comes to numbers. And when it comes to numbers, you can't drop 80 games off well, the schedule or 60 TV, they games got those off the schedule. TV deals, too. With that, that as well, yes. Obviously, yeah. the money side, I mean, we don't even have to address that. Yeah. I'm talking like on the record side and the numbers side and guys being able to climb the ladder in certain regards. 
you have to be able to have a certain amount of games to where that can be competitive. And 162, in my opinion, is too much, but I'm not going to drop it past below 120. I would say I would have a 130, 130 games for, a, for an entire season that pretty much takes away all of September. So if you want to move the season up, you can do that to where you can have September baseball and you can move the season from April to uh, May. You just have to wait a little bit longer. There's an adjustment period with all of that. But those are the things I think if you do those things, baseball would be so... I mean, because baseball's a great sport. It's just the MLB doesn't handle it correctly. If they did these things, I truly believe it. So cast your vote. Uh, text 6969 for vote Lance as the MLB new manager or uh, uh, MLB commissioner. Fuck Ma- <laughs> Rob Manfred. Needs to lose his job. And I need to get it. So there we go. Thank you for setting me up on that one, Donnie. What about you? What about you, Trevor? If that would I change? Was, yeah, if that was for you. Well, I am next in line for the job, so what I'm planning on doing this is... This is my competition. Um, so text B-I-T-C-H if you're trying to vote for Trevor. So if you wake up dead tomorrow, Lance, this is what... Or a horse's head. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know, man. Like, I... Like I, I made it. I got. I think shortening the season definitely is a step. I think the DH thing is definitely a step. Uh, I think they need to incorporate, you know, legal fighting like hockey. I think that'd be awesome. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I actually do. If I'm being honest, I think yeah, I think that would be really actually entertaining and just let them, you know, duke it out. Um, I don't know, man. I, as far as I'm, I'm not the biggest baseball head. If I'm just being brutally honest, it's not really my sport. Never really was. I like watching it and definitely going to the games, but. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think the DH thing, I, I think, that, like I said, the DH thing is definitely um, a step in the right direction. There's no reason for pitchers to be taking at-bats anymore, really. Just focus on their craft. Um, but definitely shortening the season. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think. Maybe maybe some more inter- – I don't know. I can't even think of what it could be, but maybe more interactive things for the fans. Maybe maybe more things that would attract, you know, the viewers on TV. You know, I have no idea. Maybe, you know, we're adding some cool extra events at the uh, All-Star break type thing. You know, maybe something that involves the fans a little more, something that attracts that. Um, maybe shortening the games themselves or, sp- like you said, speeding up the games, finding a way to speed up the games. Because, uh, I mean, four hours baseball games just – that's – I can't do it, man. I'm just being honest. I'll, I'll walk back and forth at a party if it's on or something and check in periodically. But outside of playoff baseball, I'm never sitting there and watching a full baseball game. 9.45. From the be- oh, still third inning. Yeah, huh? no, man. It's just I can't do it. I just can't. I, I, I like the game. It's it's an entertaining. And the, there's not many things like playoff baseball. At that time of year, it's cool and crisp outside, and there's baseball on. You're hearing the, the bat cracking with the – you know, it's just, a, it's just something that's nostalgic that's in the back of our head that we'll never really be able to escape. So – I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have too much to add to it, to be honest. I'm not a baseball guy, but I think I think they're they're making you know the proper changes with the DH thing. So well, I think you hit a home run with that analysis. <laughs> yeah, over the green monster. All right, time to go. Now let's hit a bunt. <laughs> Is this over? <laughs> Almost. Ask Donnie. <laughs> yeah. All right. Second question. I don't know if you guys want to touch on it again. We talked about it on, on last week's episode. But the whole Chris Jones, Jamal Adams uh, trade, yeah. um, kind of just uh, wondering how, how good would the secondary and safety group of Tyron Matthew in the slot, Juan Thornhill as the free safety, and Adams in the, in the box be, and would that help the secondary more or the pass rush more? Make no mistake about it. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see uh, any scenario where that trade would actually go down, as we have spoken on it before. But Arrowhead Pride did make an article about it, and it was actually a great read. So I do recommend anybody that is interested in that topic because it is still out there. Um, I would definitely recommend you go and read that on ArrowheadPride.com. But um, 
there's no question the Chiefs would have automatically the best secondary in the entire NFL if Jamal Adams was to be here. But with that, you're losing a massive middle-of-the-gap type of guy yeah. um, in Chris Jones. So there's going to be a significant price to where you hope that every single week teams are trucking the ball 45 times because otherwise they're just going to run all over you and it's just going to be a gap, like I said, in the middle, putting even more pressure and onus on Frank Clark. And we haven't seen Frank Clark put a full season together yet since he's been here in Kansas City. So... Um, it would be fun. It'd be exciting. I, I definitely expect uh, a full, healthy season of Frank Clark. I should say oh, okay. uh, it, it, should, it should be exciting. I, I would say like it'd be it'd be a fun thing to see. I don't think though that the Chiefs' defense would be at their full strength in 2020 in particular if Jamal Adams was here as opposed to Chris Jones. So um, I know we did touch on it before, but I understand the question. I understand why it's brought up. And uh, according to the polls that we had posted, uh, it was a significant draw of, no, we'd rather keep Chris Jones. And I think fans understand why. Yeah, um, not just not to purposely ignore the question. We did touch on that pretty thoroughly, actually, last week. So I'm going to kind of use my time here to actually delve into what you were talking about earlier in the show when you talked about how Chris Jones isn't going to be here the following season. So is that, that means Chris Jones is pretty much going to walk after his his duration here, correct? Not necessarily because the Chiefs can still franchise tag him for another year and trade him. Trade him, okay. Yeah. So which he, I think is what's going to happen. Okay, yeah, and I do too. I think if if he you know refuses or to budge on whatever he wants his demands as far as demands wise, unless he really really wants to stay here and play, um, what do you think? If we did trade him, what do you what would you want as far as compensation? Would it be more picks based, or would it be you know a player and a couple picks? Because obviously. Him being, you know, highly touted in his position and one of the yeah. most important positions in football, he we should get a major package from because something, something at least something similar to maybe not as high a package or good a package as they got for Khalil Mack, but maybe something of that significance, maybe around there because I mean that's a I've never seen a trade package like that with Khalil Mack since, since I don't even know when, but it would probably for me you'd probably I'd want something similar, maybe a couple firsts and a player. Absolutely. Well, yeah. In in, in the twenty twenty one off season. The Chiefs are going to have to build a little differently than they have the last couple seasons because Patrick Mahomes has been on a rookie deal. Right. Going into 2021, that's not going to be the scenario. He's going to have his money. So the Chiefs are going to have to adjust on how they build. They're not going to be fucked. Mm. They're not going to be screwed to where they can't build anymore. They're just going to have to do it in a different way. And I think that if you're looking at it from perspective of, you know, you franchise, you tag and trade Chris Jones to, let's say, an NFC uh, team where, like, he goes to the Eagles. And and I think if I was if I was to make that trade, if I was to make the demands of that trade, yeah. it is more uh, a draft pick heavy. I would like a, a, a player, you know, of, mm-hmm. of some magnitude, not a great player, obviously, because you're not going to be able to get high picks and a great player for Chris Jones. Right, it's right, not right. realistic in the, in the, the NFL. Yeah, you can get yourself a, a guy that you can use for a year or two a veteran type of player that was on the last year of his contract, an expiring type of contract, plus a first-round pick and a second-round pick, something of that nature. Because a year ago, I said if they were going to trade Chris Jones, I would want that Khalil Mack trade because I feel like Chris Jones is better than Khalil Mack in most regards. I know they played a little bit different position, the point remains. So now that it'll be a year and a half to two years afterwards where Chris Jones will be going into year age 27, he's still in his prime, but you know he's not 25 anymore. Um, I would say that I would automatically want a, a top 15 to 20 pick. Absolutely. Especially when you see the DeForest Buckner trade. You saw what they got from him. Right. I think the Chiefs could absolutely get that, set that market there. And, yeah, that's what I would like to see. And I think that the, with, with the Chiefs, like I said, having to get a little bit younger because Travis Kelsey will be a year older. You know, Mitchell, or Mitchell Schwartz will be a year older. Eric Fisher might be on his way out. There's a lot of moving parts after the 2020 season. Right. It, I think it needs to be drafted. So would you want a player another 
defensive end type player or, or a pass rusher type player and replace Ansem picks, or would you just take you know whoever it, the best player is available? It's, in that it's hard. Swap? To, it's hard to predict because we don't know right. what the Chiefs' needs are going to be after this. So season. So much changes by season. Yeah, we have no idea. If I was to say what I would like to see them take with like if they say they get a uh, that first overall pick or a first pick mm-hmm. uh, out of the Chris Jones trade, I would like to see them sure up that offensive line. Because we've, we've talked on the show many times before, they have to look at Patrick Mahomes not just as a great player, but as an, a long-term investment. Maybe another center how, to, or how do you keep your investment healthy and safe? You build him a badass offensive line. Look at Drew Brees. The reason he's been able to play so long, not because he's just a freak athlete. He's not. Right. He's actually undersized. He's our, our size. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that he's had such a great offensive line in front of him for six, seven years. Yeah. If he played behind a shitty offensive line, Drew Brees has been yeah, gone for four years. Investment. It's, yeah. Exactly. So give Patrick Mahomes that in his early 20s, mid-20s, to where he doesn't have to feel like he's aging quicker when he hits 30-31 like a lot of quarterbacks we've seen in the past do. Sure up that offensive line. So if I had to take a guess right now, I would go offensive line. Yeah, for me, that's funny because I was thinking either offensive linemen or use those early picks for new future offensive linemen. It, for me, if we're going to trade for a specific position, it would be offensive line. You know, uh, even a left guard or, or a left tackle or uh, a right guard, one of those type of players for those aging guys we have in there right now that are top of their game to back them up or another corner, maybe a, a decently named corner, you know, a guy that's in the middle of the pack type corner that can come in because we need, we need corner depth as we speak right now. So uh, that, yeah, that's just an interesting, I think, conversation, if, you know, looking forward to him being gone, what would we get for him? It's a lot in the air that we could possibly get for him. He's going to be, especially if he stays healthy this year and produces at a high level again this year, it's only going to add to it. So, well, I know my sister's going to lose with this Chris Jones leaving. Oh, <laughs> what could have been? Uh, Still a what chance. Been? Eddie, Still a chance. Eddie, what could have been, man? I know. <laughs> the teddy bear and CJ? That's, just, that's a <laughs> podcast in itself. I, I could have had a sweet Uncle Ed. Arrowhead. <laughs> just saying. I'm not saying anymore. <laughs> I'm not saying anymore. Hey, laugh. Eddie, you, you, you can cook if you need to. Yeah. Do it. <laughs> All right. Uh, this question involves Jorge, uh, Royals Jorge Zolaire. Uh, do you think it's possible for him to hit more home runs this year than he did last year? No. But do you see him, do you see him improving every year as a player? Because I've got this feeling about him that he's special. I actually I share that sentiment. I, I think that we have not seen the best as an overall player from Jorge Soler because I think he can absolutely get better. He's still so raw. We saw his power numbers do what they did last year. I mean, he went from, I think, 12 home runs last year was 48, if I'm not mistaken, last season. The guy's he's a madhouse when he can... I mean, hitting that many home runs at Kaufman is insane. It's one of the hardest ballparks to hit home runs at that level. It really is. It's, it's a big ballpark. So pitcher friendly for sure. I don't think that I don't think we've seen the best of him, but that doesn't that doesn't mean that I'm expecting his numbers to drop. If that makes sense, I think he's going to become more of a well-rounded hitter mm. in 2020. I think you're going to see his average go up a little bit because if the Royals are smart, they want to keep his power numbers high. But I think you want it to go down a little bit to instead of 48, you want to get him to like 36, 37. But he's knocking in an additional 25 to 30 RBIs and his on-base percentage goes up because that is something he struggled with. If you can get him to level it out just a little bit, just a little. I'm not saying, like I said, go down to 22 home runs. But if you can just bring it down just a little bit and get him on base a lot more, that's only a good thing. I, I mean, now, obviously, in an ideal world, if the guy's hitting 45 home runs and 150 RBIs, batting 311, 
yeah, you got yourself Albert Pujols. But if that's that's not the reality. That's why guys like Albert Pujols stand out. More than likely, Jorge Soler is going to be somewhere in that middle tier. I think if he can bring his numbers down on the home run side and quit focusing so much on the power and focus on getting on base and hitting for average, you're going to see a more well-rounded player. And I think that's what I think that's what the Royals are focusing on this year. Do I think he's going to hit more home runs? Absolutely. I think he's going to hit like three a game and, and end with about 50 and 60 games. God. No. Um, uh, um, Patrick Mahomes would no longer be the most popular player. I can't see that. Right. No. If Jorge Soler hits three home runs a game this year, Patrick Mahomes who? Like just, let's just be real. We're, you know, let's, it's going to yeah. happen. Uh, no, I don't, happen. I, don't know, I don't know too much about his, his numbers. Honestly, I'm not too deep into that as far as what his numbers are and what they could improve to. I do believe in his talent just from what I've watched. Um, uh, I do. I definitely think he can take this next step. This this season is going to be tricky. Um, he's, he's got limited time to really even you know to find a rhythm and progress within sixty games or progress. So I mean, I think you know there's definitely he definitely has the potential to be a star in this league. And I think he already is you know trending towards that, um, especially in Kansas City. You know where he has a great fan base behind him. You know, and if he can become that guy, that's this, this is a good stage for him to build. Uh, upon that, so um, I think with this young him him possibly being the, you know the leader of this young group of, of Royals that we're, we're building here, we could be a potential playoff team this year. You know, we're kind of building a hype train right now with that, but we don't really know if that's possible. But it's definitely in uh, within the grasp of reality this this season with the shortened season. Everyone kind of has a chance looking into this, but um, him him himself, absolutely, I definitely can see him starting within you know this season this shortened season you know shining and being one of the one of the bright spots of this whole debacle that's gone in the MLB and Kansas City needs that quite frankly I will say this I'm looking at his numbers right now uh Jorge Seller did hit 48 home runs with 117 RBIs which is incredible that is great um, however, he batted only 265 and struck out 178 times power in a total of about 679 plate appearances. That's not good. Yeah. Uh, he needs to, the efficiency uh, needs to go up. I would like to see his strikeouts go down to about about 35 less. If he can strike out around 130 times, that'd be, I think he'd be doing great. And if he can get that batting average to about like anywhere from 278 to 285, you're talking about an MVP candidate, like a legit MVP yeah, candidate. A little more Jeter, less Frank Thomas. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. See, Trevor knows baseball. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. So he's he's a player that was acquired from the Wade Davis trade, right? That is correct. Yeah, yeah. So did the Royals win that trade? They absolutely did. There's no question. Wade Davis is no longer what Wade Davis yeah, was in, that's in true. Kansas City. Wade Davis had this shining that that's usually how it goes for baseball pitchers. Mo- most of them. I and mean, now you have your greats. But most of the time you have these guys that have like these three year windows where they're just magnificent and then they just lose it. Wade Davis is on that trajectory. At the now. time, it felt dirty because the, the Royals have always kind of, for the longest time, outside of when we obviously when we won the series a few years ago, but the the Royals have always kind of been that team that was like a, a farm system for the rest of the league. You know, with the Johnny Damons and you know the you know the Carlos Beltrons and the players like you know that left and then went on to greatness and won championships and whatever. So it's we definitely obviously hindsight looking at it now we definitely won that. Royals trade. absolutely won that trade. There's for sure. no question. And they're building something, man. They're building a, a good young roster. It's exciting. Sweet. Well, that was it for uh, Monday Mailbag, well, Thank guys. you for Donnie Couch. We Stop, appreciate man. it. Otherwise, that would have been a tumbleweed going across the dirt road. Thanks know? there, so. Don. What a, what a, all right, well, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. When we come back... Well, wait, no. What's next, guys? Hold this L! KC Hemp Company, your most trusted CBD provider in Kansas City, shipping nationwide. 
Agent Plant for a New Age Health. Follow them on Facebook and Instagram at Casey Hempco. It's time to hold this L. I want you to do me a favor and hold this L. Somebody's got to hold that L. <laughs> the him, the her. I'm talking like caps lock L L L L L L L L Cool J stuff. Hold that L. <laughs> Good God, man. Hold this gigantic, <gasps> veiny, pulsating oh L. Man. You are one pathetic loser. You ignorant bastard. <laughs> oh, that was great. Oh, hold Sorry. this hell. Yes. Back at it again. It is time to hold this L. Eddie, I'm not going to waste any time. I can't wait because you, you've been killing it all night, bro. You've been calling a teddy bear. You had all these provocative questions. I'm going to shut up now, dude. What, what, who's holding the L for you this week? Because I think they, they are very deserving, whoever you picked out this week. All right. My L is going to none other than there's a team out there called Liverpool. No, I'm just kidding. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just kidding. What are they? Uh, uh, the <laughs> yeah. Premier League champions, yeah. baby. No, uh, I'm going to give it to uh, Manchester City. Uh, why, you ask? Well, Manchester City, year in, year out, uh, are all by far the title contenders. Just just because of the, ta- uh, the amount of talent that they have in that squad, uh, it's outstanding. It is, I believe it is the most expensive squad in England right now. So that should tell you the talent these players have. And to let, to let Liverpool, who has... Who has really good talent? I'm not gonna say they're not. They don't have talent. They have really good talent, but I think overall talent. I think City has the edge on Liverpool, mm. and for Liverpool to pretty much win the title, still seven games left in the season. I think is uh, a record for for England for winning the title like the earliest because there's still seven games. They feel behind. I think they're they're behind right now. Like. 20 points, 27 points. That's a lot in soccer. Obviously, there's 21 points left uh, to play in the Premier League, and that tells you a lot of, like, the champion. They're already, they're already crowned champions, and there's still 21 points to be played. That just tells you the amount of gap that, that is between first and second place. It, it just has to go to Manchester City because, like I said, the coach... By far better than than Jurgen Klopp, by far. It just win wins leagues anywhere he goes. And the talent that surrounds like these this team is incredible, and for them to not even be close to like the championship champion contenders to not even fight, it, it's just crazy. And when they needed it the most, they played Chelsea. This past, I believe, was it Wednesday? Yeah, I believe it was Wednesday. All they had to do was win to, to keep those title hopes alive. And obviously made Liverpool go out and play a lot more and, you know, keep winning. Uh, so it would have, it like, dragged that, that title. But to choke in the biggest game that like of this season just tells you that 
it, did something happen? Something's going on in that squad that that's just not right. So for mm. me, Manchester City is going to have to hold this L. L. Trevor Twidwell, well, who's holding the L for you this week? Oddly enough, please don't be depressed. I know. Oddly enough, mine's actually a soccer or football one as well. Um, and Manchester, there was a, um, I believe, what two days ago, there was a English Premier game uh, in Manchester between Burnley and Manchester City. Uh, no, United. Or was it United? Well, it, this was posted on the 23rd. So it was a... Uh, yeah, because Chelsea, Chelsea played Manchester City, so it would have been Manchester United against Burnley. Well, it says... It says this is what the article says. It says uh, there was a... The start of the game between Burnley and Manchester City. Uh, there's a police investigation. Either way, there's a police investigation okay. going on during the... As the game... So Eddie's going to hold the L now. As, you gotta, no, as, as the game... I'm not sure when this game was held. It was sometime this past week, I believe. So okay. there's a police investigation because right after the game had just begun, the players did kneel in protest at the beginning of the game. Um, but right as the game had begun, as the, as the whistles blew and the game was beginning, there was an aircraft that flew over the stadium with a banner attached to it. The banner said... The banner in big, big, bold letters. Uh, supposedly it was some Burnley fans that uh, had rented the, 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 the plane that flew the banner. The banner read in big bull letters, White Lives Matter, Burnley. Um, obviously, they knew that there's been protests going on before all the games. This has obviously been an ongoing social media craze. We've, everyone's seen all the soccer players and football players you know, taking their knee before the game in respect to all the things that are going on in our country and around the world, quite frankly. Um, but even, uh, I believe, what was his name? Um, the captain, Ben Mee, uh, for Burnley, he said, I'm ashamed and embarrassed that a small number of our fans had decided to put that to put that around our, the stadium. Uh, he said that after the game. Uh, he said he, before, he, before, the, before the game, he said he had heard some whispers that something was going to happen. He said he was a little nervous about it. He wasn't even sure what was going to happen. So the fact that, I'm just saying, the fact that sports fans are this offended and this salty and this soft to be that offended about something that's only for a good cause, you know, that's, that's recognizing a good cause and, you know, they're paying respects to the lives of the lost lives of people that, you know, whether they think it's innocent or not, it doesn't really matter. But the fact they got to go out of the way to say white lives matter, it just shows you, it just shows you the mindset. Some of these people or the lack of mindsets or the usage of minds out there that would put money and invest money into an aircraft to fly a banner over a soccer or English Premier League game, just to spread that message—a negative-only message—in you know to be contrarian to what's actually going on in reality right now. So, uh, Burnley fans, whoever you are that were responsible for that, I'm pretty sure you're going to get caught because the police are investigating, and it's kind of hard to get away with something like that and that exuberant, that you know, loud um, over a stadium of a soccer game that you know of the magnitude that the English Premier League is. Um, you're all going to have to do me a favor and. Hold, Hold this, this L. L. And that game was before Chelsea. So okay, was, that's what I figured. Yeah, it was during the weekend. Yeah, okay. It's, it's okay. Yeah, it was, the article was posted on the 23rd, so I wasn't sure when they, exactly the game was played. But yeah. You guys ever heard of Jeff Criswell? No. I have. Yeah, you, have you heard of Jeff Criswell? Yeah. Please tell me, Lance. Yeah, me neither. Uh, <laughs> born March 7th, 1964 in Grinnell, Iowa. Went undrafted in 1987, was signed by the Colts, and later on went to play for the Jets and Chiefs until he retired in 1998. Jeff then would disappear into the ether. Until this week when uh, my guy Shaggy Shane texted me 
one night this week and, and let me know that one of our mutual friends by the name of Noah Kaufman, some know him as the, the Amish outlaw. Shout Chiefs out games. Noah. Shout out to our guy Noah. He made a Facebook post uh, this week regarding the announcement of Patrick Mahomes teaming up with LeBron James and combating voter suppression. Well, Mr. Chris Wall decided to tell on his dumbass racist self and make the claim that Mahomes has teamed up with a known racist known by the name of LeBron James. Yeah, let me say that again. Uh, Jeff Chriswell decided to tell on his dumbass racist self and make the claim that Mahomes has teamed up with a known racist, LeBron James. It's known. Yeah, it's known, guys. It is known, you know, because all four of us in this studio right now know that LeBron is just this racist, right, guys? Um, but like a typical snowflake, once I decided to, to give Mr. Jeffrey a piece of my mind... Uh, not only deleted the comment, but he then blocked me because he didn't want to address uh, the facts that I relayed to him quickly and swiftly after I was told of this uh, post. Well, you can block the comment, Mr. Jeff, and I hope, I really hope you get to watch this, dude, because what you said and how you conduct yourself, I mean, you can't, ex you can't expose yourself any more than you already did to all of us. And I'm here to let you know that we know, sweetheart. So do me a favor before watching and listening to our show and the people that watch this and the people that are going to have to Google your name to find out who the fuck you are, lifelong Chiefs fans that is, and do me a favor, do me a solid, do all of us who stand against injustice and stand against ignorance that you, people like you, spew on a constant basis and hold, hold the hell! hell! Oh, I swear, I, I, thought, I thought you were going to go. Hold the hell! I, I thought you were going to go K-State on us, man. <laughs> I thought you were gonna tackle that. No, see when you have when you have dipshits like that that make themselves known, I can't help but acknowledge it. And plus, my guy Shaggy Shane wanted me to express myself, and I really wish I could have saved the comment I gave this guy. I, yeah, I saw his post. I didn't. I didn't want to read the comments. Honestly, I didn't even know who the fuck this guy was yeah. until he did something. This let's stupid. make him famous. Make him famous for all the wrong reasons. Yeah, this was a fun show as always. An absolute blast. Episode seventy. Um, we could not do this without all of you guys and the rest of the KCPN network, without Gat, without Clay Windler, with all the amazing and consistent support that we get here at the Spoken Podcast. Like I said before the show, or as, as the show began, this just simply started as three guys that wanted to do a show, that wanted to have fun, but more than anything, wanted to give you guys something authentic. Because I know there are so many shows out there that give you the same regurgitated bullshit each and every week. We wanted to give you a piece of us and hope that that is something that you look forward to each and every week. But more than us giving you us, we wanted you to be a part of it. We wanted you to feel like this is a welcoming family because that is exactly what this is. The cliche flies, I get it, but we hope that we show you that through our consistent effort to give you guys entertainment especially in crazy ass times like we are living in right now we're gonna get through it guys we promise you that it's gonna be we're gonna have sports again we already saw the schedule like we talked about the nba is coming back mlb is coming back things are starting to hopefully get to where we want it to be but in the meantime please protect yourself please protect your family and look out for everyone else too I'm not going to tell you what to do. I would like to believe you know what that is that you need to do. So in that case, please do it. Please protect yourself. Please be safe so you guys can continue to be a part of this and we can continue doing what we love, which is this. And we can have another 70 episodes or two. And Eddie picks Patrick Mahomes' nose. I did. Th I thought I did see something in there. It might have been the ring. It got lodged in there. But hey. Regardless, 
Seriously, with all sincerity, thank you guys so much for everything that you guys give to us. We look forward to this each and every week, and I cannot wait until next week. I wish we could do another show right after this one, but unfortunately, we have to wait until we have a five-day schedule, and that will come one day, we promise you. So in that case, subscribe to KCPN and all the other content providers. We promise you we got some awesome ones, guys. We are just one of the few that are out there trying to do what we can to give you guys entertainment in times like this. In times like any time period, but especially in times like this, we know that it is valuable because we enjoy stuff like this as well. So in that, for Trevor Twidwell, for Eddie Ortiz, for Clay Windler, and for Miss Gat herself, I am Lance Twidwell here at the Spoken Podcast, wrapping up episode 70. We are out of this bitch. See ya. Bye, ladies. We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned in to the Spoke. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit. Me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film. Powder donut. <clears throat> Okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The Name Your Price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxwain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. Es mejor llegar tarde a casa que nunca volver a llegar. Es mejor llegar tarde al trabajo que nunca volver a trabajar. Y es mejor recoger tarde a tus hijos que nunca volver a recogerlos. Llegar tarde a donde vayas por esperar a que pase el tren es mucho mejor que arriesgar tu vida tratando de ganarle el paso. Por algo existe el dicho, más vale tarde que nunca. Alto, el tren no para. Mensaje de Nitzel.